Fox Spots and Chair Shots. And people, just to start off, if y'all haven't, go subscribe to Fox Spots and Chair Shots on all platforms to make sure we get in here on Fox Spots and Chair Shots. One of the hottest podcasts out here. Definitely from the spotlight. DJ Savage represents the takeover all day. And Fox Spots and Chair Shots, check Hello, my people who are watching live on YouTube, YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast provider. You are most definitely my people. Welcome to another episode of Botch Spots and Share Shots. We still have high hopes of delivering quality wrestling content, and if not, we'll sprinkle in the Panda Wrestling Company. You know, so we still get over. I'm your host, a chef by trade, no mark by choice. I am the Will Gray, and joining me tonight is one of the hosts of the Wrestle Talk Wolfpack. Coming from the Panda Wrestling Company, he's everybody's favorite ginger ninja. He's Jaxbo. Jax, how are you, Bubba? I'm doing fantastic. Good, man. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited for you. And also, from his uh, Panda Wrestling Company brethren, he is the host of the Geeks and Noob podcast. He is the founder of the Geeks and Noob Network. He is back two weeks in a row. I may as well put him on the payroll. He is super beard. Super beard, welcome back. I'm, I gladly accept to be on the payroll. <laughs> the jerks on you there's really not one <laughs> 20 250 and a snickers bot <laughs> hey man a snickers is a snickers and as always perched upon her iron throne in the boss bitch's corner is the beyonce to my hova the Be- the bonnie to my clyde she is the brains behind the operation she's the boss bitch miss allison siegel al how are you i'm good fantastic gentlemen super beard you've done this Al, this is your show. Jax, welcome. I always start this episode the same way every single time. Uh, So what has you pissed off for greatness? What has you worked up this week? Uh, I know we kind of talked off air. A couple of you say you have something maybe not directly wrestling related. Uh, Jax, I'm going to tee you off first. You're the the first timer here. So what has you pissed off for greatness? Um, That really has me pissed off. But greatness is Leo Rush came out with a masked hooded figure at gcw's latest event when she took her hood and her mask off it was none other than J- david jason frank's daughter and as a big power ranger fan especially the green ranger i am beyond excited where this leads her and i hope it's a, it's an actual career into this because if she's not going to play a power ranger like i want her to man let her wrestle wrestle I could get behind that. Big time. I was a big Power Rangers guy growing up as well. So, uh, and seeing the the White Ranger and the Green Ranger and everything that he was, and not to mention, he just seemed like a really cool guy all the way around it. So uh, that was that was definitely a, a kick to the childhood's uh, you know nether region. I got to meet him um, about a year before he passed, and I got the Lord, my Lord Draken autograph, and sweet guy, sweet guy. Looks like a rip your arms off, but sweet guy. He's the kind of guy that would beat you up and then like fix your boo boos right afterwards. Exactly. Super beard, my friend, my colleague. Yes, sir. What has you uh, pissed off for greatness tonight? Yeah, I'm not going for greatness. I'm going for pissed off. Choose uh, <laughs> violence. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, it's rated E for everyone. Thank you, Nate Slater. Uh, <laughs> Here's the deal. Social media has become the quote from the Dark Knight. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. All of these 
influencers, especially on TikTok, be it comic talk or wrestle talk or whatever, have got their egos so inflated. And TikTok is the worst because you get astronomical numbers that actually don't equate to anything else. Because these people with millions of followers on TikTok, you go to their Instagram and they're less than 10K followers. You go to their YouTube and they're barely over 1,000. They're getting like 100 views per video. Most of their views are bots anyways. Because TikTok is so full of bots, but you can't tell. For every one that you can catch that follows you, there's like a thousand that you have no idea. And the fact that these people are out there trying to play the woe is me card, I've had a hard life, why is everybody attacking me? Because they decided to come out with some stupid ass, ignorant, bigoted take and think it's okay. Regardless of the inflated numbers, you have a voice, you have a responsibility with said voice. That being said, People need to understand that, yes, you're the one putting videos out on social media. Yes, you're the one creating content. But your content is shown to billions of people. It also reflects the people around you that you associate with. So there are certain people on TikTok that need to get their head out of their ass and stop walking around like a town drunk and making everybody else look bad. Also, the people that are in the millions of followers who are out there with the oh, woe is me story – Suck my left nut. <laughs> yeah, because the right one's mine, motherfucker. You guys have, there's y'all can share. Y'all can Joint share. custody. Here's the deal. You most of these people openly admit to the fact that they are gifted things by big brands and that they get to do stuff and they shill are basically shills for these companies. They openly admit it. And then like, oh, but you know, I just I'm just a fan, blah blah blah. No, you've lost the right to be calling yourself a fan. When you're getting paid to do this and you have to stay within a certain parameter that you openly admit that you have to stay within. And then when people call you out on your bullshit, you get a woe is me attitude and I'm just a person. I have feelings. Where were your feelings when you were saying that bigoted shit? Where were your feelings when you decided to be a complete nutter douchebag? Fuck off. All of you fuck off. I literally just had this conversation or one very similarly to it without last night. Uh, <laughs> We were looking at somebody's TikTok following, and they had upteen billion TikTok followers, like a ridiculously high number for a wrestling podcast. And then we looked at their tick or their Twitter followers and their YouTube followers, and they were all smaller than ours or on par with ours across the board everywhere except for TikTok. And I was like, I don't get it. Like in the big scheme of things, even still, one platform doesn't equal equal like you being the say all be all and i feel like there's an ego complex with some people and uh i've been very proud of the fact that everything allison and i have built has been very organic we built through the indies and we're proud of the fact that we're not in anybody's pocket but we still have promotions that go guys we want you at our shows you know what i mean we're proud of the relationships we've built without having to have the ego yeah Like, I feel like that's such a big part of it is because it's once somebody starts, it's, I don't want to harp on it. Superbeard said it great. You know what I mean? Like once you become a shill for a company and they're paying you to say what you say or paying you to ask the questions you're being asked, like it's not the same thing anymore. Superbeard's absolutely right. At this, at this point, the final thing I'll say on it is if you come to me and try to brag that you have millions of followers on TikTok. 
This is my life every three times a week. I'm happy with it. I'm still waiting. I know Panda's got a lot going on and Self-Bet's got a lot going on. I'm still chomping at the bit for them to put me and Superbeard on air together weekly. Really? You're chomping at the bit. What do you do on Saturday nights? I'm usually at home if I'm not in an indie show. If you ain't in an indie show this Saturday night, I'll give you and Superbeard the floor. I need fill-ins for the Wrecking Crew. No one's going to be there. Let's do it, Superbeard. Let's make it a date. No, wait, wait, wait. No, where are we at Saturday? We're in Georgia. We're in Georgia this week. For oh. Sorry, guys. We'll get <laughs> you on one, yeah. one Saturday or something. We'll have to get them on. Just y'all to go at it. It has the full schedule. Yeah, we'll do like a test run show somewhere, and then we'll just run with it. Because I, I, yeah, I'm totally excited for that. Al, your turn. What has you pissed off for greatness? I'm pretty sure Dynamite didn't have any women's matches this week. I don't think so. I'm yeah. not, I can't remember the card right offhand. Wait, was it the main event, that triple threat between... Or was that... Mm-hmm. I don't remember. One of the two had a match that was a women's match, but I can't remember. Oh, Rampage's main event was... Rampage, like one of the, there was a triple threat between Ruby Soho, Tony Storm, and uh, Britt Baker. Wasn't that last week? But that might be last week. Yeah, the I'm show... pretty sure there was not a single AEW's women's match this week. Yeah, they those shows run together. It's not good. I really think they need to make Rampage live. I'll just go out on a limb and say it. Yeah. I think they need to make Rampage Me live. Jack. Let's see. What was the card for Dynamite? Um... While she looks it up, I'm going to do mine real quick because it won't take long. Uh, what has me pissed off for greatness is how good Logan Paul looks. Uh, he's he's playing more than just the annoying celebrity like interaction. Um, I kind of want to hate him, but he's good at what he's doing, and it makes sense. So like, I hate him for being a good heel, and then that makes me mad at myself for hating him for being a good heel because that's the wrestling equivalent of liking him. So I'm like... Mm-hmm fuck, how can I do this? And like, I'm mad because I can't talk shit and hate on Logan Paul because everything he does is solid in-ring work. It looks good. The timing's good. All the shit I rip on people for, Logan Paul's not being bad at those things. So I'm like, 2023 just keeps getting weirder because at Wrestle Kingdom, I gave Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay his roses. I said that Jonah had really started to impress me working as a big man with Okada. And now I look at it and I'm like, maybe Logan Paul isn't detrimental to the business of pro wrestling. Maybe he can get those casual eyes back on the sport again. I fucking hate that I just said that out loud, like live on air too. It's out forever. It's on the internet now. It's out there. It's out there. I said it. I said it. (laughs) I'm super excited for Seth Rollins versus Logan Paul at WrestleMania. Me too. I think it'll be a banger of a match. Yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to feel that, like at first I wanted to hate Logan Paul. I wanted to hate him coming in. like Just like I wanted to hate him being a boxer. But everything Logan Paul has done, he's given it 110% and he's succeeded at it. Except his energy drinks. His energy drinks suck. I'm not a prime guy. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Everybody I've interacted with has been like, jerking off the proverbial like prime dick oh and I'm geez like, i just Tell can't get... get on it it's just not my thing 
Well, like when it comes to Prime, first off, I think KSI is doing a lot more work for that brand than Logan is. But also the fact that we can hate it all we want as an energy drink. The fact that they're literally rioting in the streets in London to get their hands on it, and people are selling it online for $1,000 a bottle and getting sales is proof that it's over. Just because it may not be over in our country doesn't mean it's not over. It's over. But a lot, like I said, a lot of that is also because KSI is – I think KSI is doing 10 times the amount of work when it comes to Prime, and Logan's is kind of like running uh, – kind of just letting it be its thing. And, uh, but the fact that he also, by the way, ESC4 was the sponsor of, of Elimination Chamber last night. Mm-hmm. I think that Prime is now being seen in the locker room and at press conferences and people drinking it. Logan Paul got it in there too. So like, yeah, he just, he's it's not, just not good. <laughs> it's no. just not my thing. I'm not a big fan of it. Yeah. I mean, if you want to drink <laughs> fucking inner bottled piss, you can, I don't want to. I mean, it honestly tastes like it tastes to me like I didn't have the energy one. I just had a regular prime like there's because there's prime and there's prime energy. So the prime is just flavored water, but it tastes like, like I remember I used to be a big fan of vitamin water and then they revamped their recipe and now it's very watered down. Like it's mostly water with a, just a hint of flavor. And that's what prime is to me. It's just water with a hint of flavor and it's typically not the best flavor. Like it, it definitely tastes artificial. And so I don't know, but it may not be. I don't know. Like I don't know much about it. I tried it. I've tried two of them, and it was just like, ah, all right, whatever. It is what it is. I've not tried the energy ones. I don't typically do energy drinks. I've only found one energy drink I like. I happen to have an affiliate link with them, but I don't even promote it because I don't believe in affiliate links. But there's one energy drink that I actually like, and it actually works for me. But other than that, like I usually avoid them anyway. So. <laughs> I drink Red Bull. Uh, I don't drink coffee or anything anymore. Uh, so, like, my one Red Bull a day is kind of my go-to energy drink. Uh, I had one tonight because it was, like, 5.30, and I'm, like, half asleep on the couch, and I was like, this isn't going to work with a 7 o'clock tee off. So I was like, so I pounded a Red Bull. Uh, but that's usually my go-to energy drink pick. I think they're all disgusting. Do you drink coffee? Me? Yeah. Like, if you, like, do you drink coffee? When I go to the office. At the office? Okay. Hmm. Well, I'm an ice guy, that's for sure. But I drink like, um, monsters and iced coffee. It's like cream coffee. Oh, so you like a little coffee with the cream? Yes. So, like, Americana all right, all or whatever right. it's called? Kind of. It would be more like a latte, but yeah. It's called, the, it's called the basic white girl coffee. The basic white girl coffee. I mean, kind of. It's like, See? I have, like, a benign heart condition, so, like, if I have too much caffeine, like, my heart will beat out of rhythm, so. Instead well, of I just feel like a dick for saying that. The BWC, it's the basic white girl coffee, instead of the Panda Wrestling Company. I just can't yeah. do it in any drink. Like, it's just too much, and I think they taste disgusting. Uh, in college, I got really sick off of, uh, of like, a... Red Bull and vodka, and uh, or no, it was Jaeger and Red Bull. It was Jaeger and Red Bull. Oh, good old Jaeger bombs. Jaeger bombs. I'll do it. Because I hate black licorice. Like, was that when I lived with Daniel? Uh, I think so. (laughs) And you're like, here, try this. It's great. Daniel is a professional musician, and in college, that's what he did to make his money, was he was a professional musician. So he was like 19 years old, and this kid would go to class, and then he was professionally wasted. 
365 days a year as a paid musician and uh he would perpetually get little innocent band kids me and al just like shit hammered on the weekends when we were huh you innocent that's hilarious but continue (laughs) i'm innocent i can claim it um Mm. i'm gonna hand this off to you now al it's news and rumors time um let's uh Let's talk about what's been going on in wrestling for a minute. Um, there was, in fact, the triple threat. It was Wednesday. Was it? Um, I guess it was that lackluster that I for- completely forgot about it. <laughs> There's wrestling on Wednesdays? I don't even remember if the match actually happened or if it just fell apart immediately. Because I know like it, the whole match fell apart. It just became like a brawl. Yeah. So I don't even know if the match actually happened or not. I don't even remember. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. Um, so my first news and rumors is uh, Tony Khan's acting like a little baby um, about Ariel. How do you say his name? Hilwani? Hilwani. Hilwani. Yeah. So I guess he was on AEW and then he did stuff this week for WWE and Tony's all butthurt about it. Um but a fun little thing, apparently he's not allowed at UFC events, and ESPN didn't know that when he was hired. So that's pretty funny. But yeah. Oh, Errol Hawani's not allowed at UFC events? Dana White hates him. Ooh. Doesn't, doesn't, Errol, doesn't he have the MMA hour? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's but, got perpetual beef with the owner of UFC, so he's not allowed on site. Does that mean he's not allowed to premier combat sports journalist and you're not allowed in the biggest combat sports company? So he's not allowed to cover slap either? No, but that's not a sport. It's hilarious, though. It's a a hilarious sport, sir. They have a championship. It's a homicide waiting to happen, is what it is. No. He will die because he's over. I think that we've seen enough evidence with CTE and everything. And uh, I don't want to, to harp on it because I, I I think it's a ridiculous concept that it's a real show, it's to be honest. It's dumb as shit. <laughs> actually like slap. Like, if you look at traditional slap boxing and the rules they have in place and everything that they have going on, it's actually a good sport. Like, and I understand it's made in Russia, which is weird to compliment, but it's actually a good sport. The reality is, though, is they just completely ignore the rules. You're not supposed to be able to step back and wind back and then throw your whole body forward. You have to keep your feet planted. Your arm cannot reach a certain degree behind you further. Like, there's a whole thing about it because of CTE and stuff like that. And they, quote-unquote, have those rules in their bylaws. But if you watch every episode, every dude, like, some dudes, like, take two or three steps back, run up, and fucking, like, Happy Gilmore, that shit. Like, it's ridiculous. And there's, you're not supposed to hit above the... the the orbital bone, and these guys are smacking temples and eyeballs and shit. Like, there's all these rules that they're just completely throwing out the window. And that's why, like, every episode there's at least two concussions. Hey, Bree, thanks for the follow. Uh, yeah, I think with CTE happening right now, I think the slap fest thing is ridiculous. Um, I think with Dana White's, uh, you know, uh, his domestic abuse uh all of that i feel like this seems ridiculous to me and it's one of those just like bad decisions you know like it just didn't seem well thought out and uh eh, it is what it is and i think it's hilarious that espn didn't realize that about ariel hawani just to tie it all back in together i feel like that's one of those due diligence things they should have checked out probably Probably. a little research 
just a kudos to Lonnie, Lonnie to not say anything and getting that paycheck. No. Yeah. Yeah, guys, I appreciate it, but like you know, I can't go to UFC, right? Like, you know, he's like, oh yeah, I'll take the check. He's gonna get paid to do his interviews via Zoom, and he has to watch the pay per views from home. Oh darn. <laughs> Can I sign up for his job, please? Dude, I'm telling you, that would be dope as shit. Listen, I'll say anything good about anything if you pay me to sit at home and watch it. <laughs> Welcome to journalism, Jaxbo. Yeah, let's come on. All the way back to what I'm pissed off about this week. <laughs> <laughs> and and thank you. This is now as we close another episode of Botch Boss. <laughs> <laughs> Now, what's next on your list? Um, next on my list is that Kenny Omega's contract is almost up in AEW. Um, there are rumors that Kenny is, quote, on good terms with WWE. And there are several people in the company who believe signing him is possible. Um... However, Tony Khan believes he can add time to Kenny's contract because he missed nine months last year because of his injury. Yeah, about that. Uh, WWE can buy whoever they want. Yeah, the first off, yeah, exactly. They have the money to buy whoever they want. That's never a problem. But I think what happened here is that some no-name dirt sheet heard from somebody who heard from somebody who heard from somebody that somebody said of course wwe would like to hire kenny omega and they have corrupted that into wwe actively seeks out contract with kenny omega Mm -hmm. no obviously he's going to be at the top of their list he's one of the greatest workers of all time like there's no like he just he just is the guy gets it and so, of course, they're going to try to hire him if he, it's a possibility. That being said, I doubt there's been active talks. I doubt that they've done more than just, yeah, it'd be cool. Like, that's probably the extent of the conversation. It's like, oh, it'd be cool to get Kenny. Like, and then with Tony, Tony, I guess, is technically within his right to try and add time to the contract. But at the same time, from what I understand from AEW contracts, that's not a thing. There's so much more open and, like, laissez-faire than, say, a WWE contract that I don't know if that clause is even something possible. Yeah. And I know before Cody signed with WWE, to say that an EVP would leave that position for WWE is preposterous. But Cody has proven that you could do that. And I think Kenny Omega, now that he's had US TV time, could easily walk in and be a main event player the second he shows up. So the, I, the likelihood before was like a 90 to 10 that he wouldn't leave AW. To me, now it's a 50-50. It's a coin flip. But the fact that Tony is giving him everything he wants, trio title, you can go wrestle here. We'll make sure you're champion there. We'll do this. I think Tony's doing everything he can to make sure he keeps his action figure at home instead of having to give it to Goodwill, and then WWE picks it up and takes it from action figure to an actual fucking star. Um, so, yeah. I don't, I don't feel like... With the roster as it stands, like, other than, like, AJ, like, I don't really see, like, Kenny fitting in really well. And that's just my opinion. My opinion means nothing, but I don't know. I'm not a huge Kenny Omega fan, and I just, I don't know. I feel like he'd be mid at best in WWE. You would see him immediately in a program with Seth Rollins. They'd put on five-star matches, and then he would get into a title picture run. But also the fact that they keep alluding to the Bullet Club. And when I say alluding, I mean they're flat-out saying 
Bullet Club now on WWE TV. You have him go against Seth Rollins. You maybe have him go against either Finn Balor or AJ Styles or both, or he joins with AJ Styles. You end up having like a Bullet Club storyline that runs through. And then from there, Kenny has established himself well enough in the company that then he's going after Cody Rhodes, who would be a part of that storyline as well. You know, there's a whole th- there's a whole way to fit him in that main event picture very easily. Why not? But as one thing we're not equating here, does Kenny Omega want to go work for just one company? Is he ready in that point in his career to lock it down to one company? Because AEW affords him the freedom to go other places. I don't think so. So I think he could always Kenny, sign back in New Japan. That's what I think his best deal would be with he's the most over in Japan. Yeah, but wait. Think about this. Jay White just left New Japan. Correct. Other people are leaving, like Okada. People are leaving New Japan for a reason, all at the same time. There's like almost a mass exodus going on. Why? What behind the scenes is going on, and would Kenny want to get involved in that and deal with Or is he talking to his friends, the people that he has worked with, and they're like, yeah, don't come back. You know, like there's a good chance that New Japan has got some issues going on to where people are like, we got to go. And so Kenny may not want to go back into that because it might be too toxic. It might be a lot full of CM Punks. I might speak out a turn here because I'm by no means a New Japan pro wrestling expert. Um, I've written on the subject. I've specifically written about Okada multiple times, uh, Antonio Inoki. Um, So I've dabbled in New Japan. One thing that you got to keep in mind about New Japan and All Japan and the dojos are... This wasn't a WWE versus WCW analogy. This was a WWE, and then they pissed off their employees, and they packed up and left and started a whole nother company. Like, the same thing happened in Mexico with MCLL and AAA, too. And I don't think people realize when we say, like, rivalries, this is bigger than Florida, Georgia, and Jacksonville, or bigger than Tennessee, Alabama on the third Sunday and Saturday, or third Saturday in October. Like... <laughs> These guys were, like, vengeful. And then you mix in the fact that you legitimately have the fucking Japanese mafia and the Yakuza involved, or, and they've been involved multiple times in the past. <laughs> like, there's no telling what's actually going on in New Japan Pro Wrestling when you cross the Pacific. We have no idea. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, so the idea of Kenny Omega going back into that, I don't know. I don't know. It, maybe he's at a point in his career where he just wants to, you know, like, hey, let me do what AJ did. Let me lock in like a three or five five year contract. One company, they're gonna pay me a shit ton of money because I'll be able to walk in and ask for the biggest payday ever. And then I can just do what I want, have these dream matches that I didn't get to have, finish out my career, and end up in the WWE Hall of Fame. Which I I don't care who you are, if you grew up in the business and want to be part of the business, you want to be part of that Hall of Fame. And everybody in AEW can talk about how they hate WWE and they don't want to be there, blah, blah, blah. In the back of their minds, they're like, I want that WWE championship and I want that Hall of Fame spot. It's always going to be there because that is what's bred into you. That's the reason you're in this sport. Most of these guys are too young to have seen wrestling before WWE was even a thing. So that's all they know. And we can't forget that WWE has the deepest pocketbooks. They have more million-dollar wrestlers than every other company on the planet combined yep because they have the budget aw uh i used the i used the ridiculous statistic a few weeks ago uh wwe gave back to their shareholders and investors like 75 million dollars 
and AEW is worth 120. WWE gave back to its investors almost the entire net worth of what AEW is. And I say that because if WWE wants Jay White and Kenny Omega, they would go out and just be like, hey, we want you guys to come here. Here's, you know, a million and a half, two million, $2.3 million a year. They paid Bray Wyatt $3.2 million. Kenny Omega, paying him double what he gets paid in uh, AEW would be nothing. $2.75 million, he's still not the highest paid person in WWE. Cody came in back in on a really, really high lucrative contract. Yeah. Cody immediately jumped into the top 10 paid stars in WWE. So just imagine what Kenny could come in and ask for. Yeah. Yeah. I think if WWE wanted him, they could have whoever they wanted. There wouldn't be a question. Cody would vouch for him. him. Oh, yeah. He would be like, Triple H, dude, my guy, sign him, whatever he wants. Trust me. Like he'll do that. Like, and Cody's in a. I think Cody's in a unique position to be able to do that. And he's kind of that insider trading guy at this point because he can tell you every guy from AEW is like, hey, this guy's worth grabbing. This guy's not. You know, da 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 da. This guy's worth paying this much. This guy's asking for that much. Don't pay him that much. He's not worth it. You know, he'll be able to do that kind of thing. It's because it, he was he was handling that kind of stuff. He was an EVP too. So like, they have all the insight in the world. Yep. Ms. Siegel, next. Next on my list, AEW has filed a trademark for a new show called AEW Collision. It is in the area of a continuing program about wrestling accessible by radio, television, satellite, audio, video, and computer networks. This most likely points it to being like like a behind-the-scenes show, I guess. Almost like an impact, uh, impact that it before the impact or whatever. BTE yeah. is it called impact or whatever? It's before the impact. Before the impact, yeah. I mean, I, good for the. I, I think what's happening is like, it's almost like Tony Khan is speed running the formula. Like we have way too many belts with that company. Before the company's even truly established, they've got 912 belts. They've got, you know, 702 shows with dark and dark elevation. And Five other- days a week. They're on the, they're, they have some type of wrestling coming with the launch of Ring of Honor on Thursdays will be five days a week. But how yeah. could somebody be oversaturating the market and also feeling like they don't have enough TV time for everybody they have? Exactly. I feel like they're lacking in so many basic core story moments in a lot of ways. And I don't have exact, you know, note for note examples right now. So forgive me for being a shitty host here. But I feel like one of the biggest critiques for AEW since 2019 when they opened the doors is. They've never established any long-term stories. And when they have, it's always been stuff that they've just thrown in from other companies. The, the, hangman, uh, the hangman stuff from Ring of Honor. You know, the Young Bucks stuff from New Japan. Nothing is organic and homegrown in AEW yet. And we're four years into the, the, the system. And I don't feel like they've, they've established their roots. They're just playing everybody else's hand-me-downs. Yeah. Yeah, like, why hasn't Wardlow gone after MGF? Yeah, that should have been, like, the first thing that happened. Uh, yeah, you built it up, and now he's just 
going after Samoa Joe and like and, and that stuff. It's just like, where did that go? Like the longest story you have is the Christian Cage Jungle Boy story, and part of that is because Christian Cage was on the shelf for so many months. Like, so it's an accidental long long form storytelling at that point, and I don't know. I just don't. Yeah, I just don't get it. I feel really left out. All three of you have a vape, and I don't. <laughs> Thank you for the the follow, Ted, the Hillbilly Hill. Ted, by the Ted, way, if you don't follow Ted, Hill. go follow Ted. Superbeard, I think you and Ted would get yeah. along super well. Ted is an old school. He's from North Carolina. He grew up in JCP. Like, he's been watching wrestling since the 70s. Like, just a really chill, just old wrestling head. Uh, I think you and I think you and Ted would vibe super well. I need to get y'all on the show at the same time. I'm down. Ted's a gem. Yeah, Jackson. Not that I don't think you would vibe with Ted, but uh, Superbeard and Ted seem to be very likable. Superbeard's like. Oh, so I'm not likable. You're super you. likable. That's not what I'm saying at all. Ted says he's just an old fart. That's not true, Ted. We're That's putting you over. <laughs> Ted is like if I, me and Ted are like each other just 20 years apart that's the best way to put it like like the type of wrestling we like the way we talk about it like we're just different the same person 20 in two different bodies it's awesome i love ted you're a great dude but moving right along gal what's next on your list you got anything else for us yeah um da- on a recent episode of ftr with dax harwood um he discussed his dream opponent would be which is gunther Okay, so mix that up with that Instagram thing that he posted and immediately deleted like he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. Because he didn't. He did. You will never convince me any different. So, wait, so you're convinced that he is so stupid that he looked at that picture, took a picture knowing the contract was there because he's the one who put it on the table. Yes. Knowing it was there, and you think he was that stupid. Yes. Do you think he's that dumb of a man? I will let you see his face. I will. that man I will is, gladly cash that check. That man is a marketing genius. He knows what he's doing. He put it up long enough so people could screenshot it and then deleted it. I love doing this to him. I also it's, like the fact that if you've ever seen a WWE contract, they don't put the logo in the bottom the third bottom. like that. So no. what he did was he intentionally fanned the flames. He knew exactly what he was doing. Super, do you, sit, do you really sit here and think I honestly believe he, he's that stupid? stupid. This man had had in my eyes the best tag team trilogy, yes, in Ring I, of Honor history. I'm saying that you think that I think uh, I'm saying the man strategically put the contract there. It is a it, by the way, it's not like you said, it's not a legit contract. It's one of those stage contracts that they use for the contract signings on stage. Yeah, it's a prop. He put it there on purpose because it showed the logo. He then put the filters on it. He made sure everything looked good. Posted it. Oh no, what have I done? Let me delete this after I wait just long enough to make sure everybody screenshots it. And now he's suddenly talking about a dream match with Gunther. Like, yeah, there's, you know, either he is trolling the shit out of everybody because of the rumors that they're going to come back to WWE in April, or he's legit teasing that because he has said they're not going to wrestle until April. We all know their contracts are up with AEW in April. Whatever the next contract they sign is the last one they're signing. 
So either he is trolling and fanning the flames of those rumors just to piss everybody off, or he is legitimizing this and teasing his return to WWE. But a thousand percent knows what he's doing. That above all else. The man knows what he's doing. And on a different subject, that Ring of Honor belt that's in his office, that's Mark's belt. Mark's carrying the one Jay carried, but that's the actual belt (laughs) in his office. Nice. I uh... I like that he's got Jay's belt with him. I like that. Yeah, Mark's carrying the one Jay would usually carry out, and Mark gifted Dax the the belt to hang in his in his office bar, whatever you want to call it. That's awesome. Honestly, he probably didn't post it himself. Uh, wrestlers of that level generally have people for these things. <laughs> I can't tell you. Like, I there's very few of them. I think actually run their own social media. Well, here's the thing about that is that I would actually be shocked if it wasn't the people that run their own their own social media, because the idea that these people have people who run their social medias it's actually very uncommon for wrestlers to do that. I understand, especially in WWE, these guys make millions of dollars, but most of them still run all their own social medias because they're just people. Like they they don't they're not you know like business people. I know like Seth Rollins runs his own. I know Becky Lynch runs her own. I know Rhea Ripley runs her own. You know, all these people, they, they run their own. And I think that Dax runs his own because he is a media guy. Like, he truly is a marketing media guy. And especially with the podcast now, like, I know, like, the podcast was his idea. He set a lot of it up, you know. So I, I do believe that most wrestlers actually do run their own social which is also why they get in trouble. Like, when they say something really stupid or post something, they get in trouble. And it's not that, like, oh, you're going to have to fire the person who runs your social media. That never comes out. Like, these people get suspended. They get fired over their social media. And it's never, like, my social media manager posted that. They don't that, – that's never said. It's, like, I messed up. I made a mistake. I take – you know, it's just – and if I had a social media manager, be like, my social media manager posted that. I have since fired them. I apologize for what they have done. I do take responsibility for what was said, but it was my social media manager. That never comes out. The, the people are always punished, not the social media manager. I don't think these people have – they're not the influencers where they have, like, managers. That, like, Kevin Owens flies fucking Frontier. He was on my flight to St. Louis at last year's Rumble. Like, they still have to run their own fucking uh, – uh, what is it called? Travel. Mm-hmm. They have to do their travel. If they're doing their own travel, they're not paying somebody to do their social media. If they're booking their own travel, they're booking their own – they're doing their own social media. It's just, you know, it's out-of-pocket stuff. They're not going to, especially since a lot of wrestlers, believe it or not, Mick Foley kind of set the standard. Here's a slight segue into the rest of the show. Uh, Mick Foley set a standard of being a super cheap wrestler to save money for when you're done. And that's why Kevin Owens flies Frontier. Shotzi flies Frontier. She was on my flight back. Uh, the Usos, uh, they happened to be flying. They flew United, but, like, they were flying... They weren't flying business class. They didn't get on the plane until the last bit. Like they're flying, they're flying regular economy class through through United. Like these guys don't spend money. They don't waste money on social media managers. And WWE, as much as they're in control over the social media, they don't actually handle their social media. They just put out rules that they have to follow. Yeah. Learn something new every day, Beard. Um, my next thing, <laughs> this is just like little fun, fun things from the weekend. 
um, former su WWE superstar JTG was in attendance at Elimination Chamber. He posted a picture. Um, I I have no idea who he is. You don't know who JTG is? No. He's from Crime Time. Oh. That was before her wrestling time. Um, yeah. Uh, do you remember a few years ago the wrestler who passed away in the ocean? He got sucked in by the undercurrent, like, uh, and all of that. It made national headlines. I think so. He got the uh, Warrior Award at the Hall of Fame that year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Shad Gaspar. Yeah. It was they were a tag team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's... They robbed people. Let's see. Um, apparently, Bailey was leading the chants at uh, Battle in the Valley yesterday for Mercedes Monet, which I think it's interesting that she was at that and not at Chamber. She was also at um, Wrestle Kingdom, too. Yeah, well, she yeah. flew out for Wrestle Kingdom like, as soon as SmackDown got... No. Uh, as soon as Raw got off the air Monday night, she left to fly out for uh, yeah. Wrestle Kingdom. Right, but it's just I think it's funny that like instead of going to Elimination Chamber to support her colleagues, she went to. Well, she 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 wouldn't had... support her best friend though. True, yeah, had... but it's just it's an, it's interesting to see like that she's still giving that support because a lot of times you know. Like, I know, like, with Charlotte specifically, like, when she goes to stuff for her dad, like, she makes it a point to not be photographed, and it's not, like, outwardly known that she is there. Like, even She's at... She's keeping kayfabe. Right. Even at his last match, which was in Nashville, like, she was at the show, but she did not sit out in the arena with everybody else. Yeah, I don't think Bailey cares. Um, They've been best friends, too, since both of them broke onto the scene in NXT. Like, with yeah. best friends, like real world like bffs i mean let's put put it let me put it this way if you had nothing to do at work nothing to do would you go to work to support your friend behind them and go you're doing a good job <laughs> you had pencil no but or are you I gonna also... go help hold on. are you gonna go help will and cheer will on if he's doing something he wants like it means a whole lot to him. for him yeah it's like, remember here's the other thing if bailey was backstage they have to pay her yeah because even these guys get caught, they guys, these guys get, these guys get like you know salary, quote unquote. They also get paid per pay per view. They get bonuses for being there. They get bonuses for it. She had literally no storyline. Like, in damage control wasn't involved. Becky wasn't involved. Bailey wasn't involved. They were nowhere to be found. So like, why have her show up and sit backstage? I'm sure Triple H was like, oh, I can. You you want to go to that show and then I don't have to pay you your pay per view rate? Sure. See ya. Bye. Yeah, I just think like, it's it's cool that she, like, didn't go to that and she went to this for her friend. That was a point I was trying to make. Um, I would have done the same thing. And I'm frozen again. I fucking hate Stu. I would have. I really do. <laughs> I'd have gone to work. Uh, I would have made that money. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me I don't get paid for going to this? Fuck you, I'm getting paid. <laughs> no, but I think it's cool in that I think it's cool she led most of the chance. It's cool to see these brands and everything intertwining. Yeah. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, they referenced during the broadcast the metaverse. They had the uh, they had Ian Riccoboni and Matt from uh, the Impact uh, the Impact uh, commentary team. Um, so it was it was very well done. I was super impressed with Battle in the Valley. We switched it over after Chamber went off the air, 
and uh, watch the end of it. I'm going to rewatch the first half when we get off here, probably, or tomorrow at some point. Uh, I've got a, a fucking mess of wrestling to talk about over the next 48 hours once we get out of this weekend. There's been so much good wrestling on. I think the other good thing about it is the fact that if Vince McMahon was still in charge, Bailey wouldn't have even been allowed to go. Yeah. And I think that that, that her showing up and and like showing her face, it kind of shows that hey, we're in a whole new era. Hey, Steve. We're, he said sure. was she caught on the backstage security like Ricky Starks was? <laughs> no, she was out like in the crowd. Like there's photos of her like standing up and like screaming. Like yeah, <laughs> it like uh, she was there. Punk was there. Thanks for the follow. Uh. That's all I've seen so far. I bet you Tony Khan got pissed at Ricky Starks for being caught backstage at a WWE show. Oh, I'm sure. Or man, I think I think Tony and uh, uh, going back to one of the first news and rumors about Tony Khan being uh, a pissed off thing over the era of Hawaii stuff is I think Tony. I said it on TikTok and I've said it on a few other platforms that he's trying to shoot his way into a work, but Triple H isn't playing with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. He keeps shooting the ammo and firing it, but WWE's not really responding back. They did the small things like calling uh, Ariel Hawani a biased or an unbiased reporter or whatever, like small jabs, but they're not just going out there and just blatantly being like, you know, we're at war with AEW. It's not the Monday Night Wars all over again, Raw against Nitro. Cody, Cody didn't come out and drop kick a fucking Jaguar mascot. I mean, yeah. yeah. Would have been funny. Hey, 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 hey. I'm not wearing the hat, but it's still right here, Jaxbo. Don't forget. Listen, and nothing is bigger than Florida, Georgia, by the way. Nothing. Third Saturday in October, my friend. It's a great day for me to get some sleep. <laughs> the one time, it, the once every 50 years that UT beats Alabama. That's not something you have to bring up. Come on now. <laughs> Go, dogs. Anyways. Uh, that's all I've got for news and rumors. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, uh, Superbeard, you were here last week. Uh, Jaxo, you were not. Uh, last week, we broke down the career of the hardcore legend Mick Foley with Superbeard. The week before that, RN was here from the Rewind, and we talked about Triple H. This week, we break down the buildup and the story but for those two and what it kind of represented for each guy's career between Royal Rumble to WrestleMania in 2000. So coming up to 2000, we're in the late 1999s. Um, Hunter was developing into the game. Um, Foley was on his way out. Uh, they were kind of figuring out how these two were fitting into WWE slash F at that point with injuries and uh, stars leaving, you know, Sean had a back injury. Stone Cold had the neck injury. There were so many people that had question marks beside him. And uh, at the same time, you kind of had these guys coming to a head. Um, they kind of met there at that point. Foley was on his way out, kind of needed to, to pass and give the rub to somebody who was ready after two decades in the business. And Triple H was ready to establish himself as a main event star. So let's start the framework there. We're January 2000. Uh, what do you think about Triple H and Mankind, where they were at in their careers at that point? Uh, Superbeard, you go first, and then Jax will kind of pick up where he leaves off. All right. Well, like, not to sound cynical, but Mankind had kind of run its course by that point. 
like the gimmick had kind of run its course. It had become, you know, the, we had the rock and sock connection and everything. It had gone from the dark and demented to to this co- comical character, and then like it had tried to get back to like a dark and, and cynical character, and it just was it wasn't quite working. It had kind of just run its course. At the same time, Triple H was in kind of a weird spot. Like he had, he unfortunately was the only one who could have been punished from the from the the, the click moment in the cage at that house show. Because, uh, you know, Shawn Michaels was the man, so you couldn't punish him. The other two were gone, so you couldn't punish them. So Triple H lost his King of the Ring spot, so he was kind of like in that like rebuilding without ever having actually reached a mountaintop phase. Like, like he was having to basically start all over after so many years. So they were both in kind of a weird phase. And I guess all the injuries to these big-time players kind of fell in their favor. It's like it was the right place, right time, off the backs of people almost losing their careers due to injuries. But you also have to see it was the the two thousands. We had a lot of people like they fought for those spots also, tooth and nail, because we had a lot of guys that were jumping from WCW then. This was right so those guys, yeah, real yeah. close to the buyout. Guys are jumping over. It's you. They they were given the ball and told to run with it, and I think they both did, and they both did a hell of a job at it. They could, yeah, they could have easily been leapfrogged by anybody else coming in. Yeah, and they kept everyone and tissed everyone on the edge of their seats. I mean, seeing that resurgence of Triple H to what he like, what he would become from then, like. That's right around the time you're going to start getting him as a, like the main guy. Like he gets hurt, does he get hurt one more time? He has the quad injury and he misses eight months, and that's in one, yeah. I think, right? Because he comes back in the Rumble in '02, isn't it? Yeah, but or is it 2000 into the 01 Rumble? Oh no, it's into the 01 Rumble, I believe. I don't remember H being around for the the um. For the buyout, though, it is going into the 01 Rumble because he wins all the way through to WrestleMania. Spoiler alert for the rest of the episode, we're still talking about it. But he wins the title all the way through, then drops the title and has the injury because he comes back at the 01 Rumble. Okay, yeah, now that you say that, because he won the year he came back, right? Yeah, because yeah, he came back at Rumble. 30. Yeah, yeah, um, but go ahead, Jaxwell. Uh, Triple H is like I've been following Triple H from some shitty gimmicks to what I like. I never liked Evolution Triple H. Shoot me, terrorizing I was, Triple H. Fucking hey, 1995 uh, WCW want, Triple H. You want two names? Good. Terror Rising. There you go. Two names. <laughs> Have a nice day. But see, I this was my favorite time of Triple H. Triple H. This like this area. Up until Evolution, and then I really could give two craps about Evolution Triple H. But no, Mankind and Mick Foley and anything he does will always be some of the best wrestling work. And Mankind will never die. So let's oh, go ahead and finish. What did you say? I don't know. Wait, am I about you? No, I like legit like like I said, they were in a prime position to get leapfrogged by so many people because, like I said, man, the Mankind character was coming down. Triple H was having to reinvent himself again. They were primed to just be skipped. 
they were primed to just be leapfrogged over, and they basically refused to let that happen. Because if you think about the beginning of their feud, it was not a main card feud. It was mid-card feud. Like, they were on the mid-card. They were not on the main card. So they were not in a main event status at that point. Neither one of them were, but they went out there and said, we're going to give this 150%, and we're going to show them why. Why Mick Foley originally was it was about elevating Triple H and getting him there and not himself, but in having that kind of, like, and almost a I've got nothing to lose attitude from Mick Foley because he's like, I'm on my way out anyways. It allowed everything to, it, it allowed him to go out there and give 150%. And at the same time, Triple H was so hungry to be in the main event because he, you know, he hadn't won a world title yet. This was his first world title reign. Like he hadn't won a world title yet. Like, so like, and he's now what a 13, 14 time. Mm-hmm. Like he's, there like he's close to like you know i think randy orton is tied with him at 14 yeah and then there's just john cena and rick flair above him but these guys have all i've always thought triple h and mick foley worked good together i mean back in 97 they worked great together they well i think a, they just have chemistry yeah that 97 feud is kind of what uh, like i think birthed mick foley wanting to push triple h and get him back up there i can think that feud birthed the reason he cared so much to help elevate Triple H is because he saw what he was and he saw the work they can do and they worked so well together that he's like, yeah, Triple H. Because Mick Foley, from what I understand, got to pick this feud as his kind of way out. Um, so, but it, one of the key moments in this feud uh, was Mick Foley kind of evolving the character, though, because at that point, as you were saying, Superbeard, in 2000, uh, Triple H had just got his first title reign. Very young champion Triple H at this point. Uh, he challenges uh, Mankind. They're going to have a street fight at the Royal Rumble. We're in January 2000, and Mankind cuts what I just call the promo. Um, he's standing there, and he comes out, and he's explaining how after 20-plus years of being battered and broken in the business... You know, he's bled, he's lost teeth, he's lost an ear, he's been burned. He goes through all the terrible things, and he goes, I know mankind's not ready to fight Triple H in a street fight, but the WWE Universe deserves somebody to replace me. And Lawler and Ross are like a replacement. What does he mean? Is he chickening out? You know, they're upselling the whole thing. And then mankind hits him with this, and he says, I think I know a guy, and I think you know him too. And as he starts walking down the aisleway, he takes off his mask and he starts taking off his gear. And he has the Cactus Jack gear on underneath it. And Triple H sells it. And he sells the absolute fuck out of it. Now, Superbeard, I'm going to ask you, you know exactly what promo I'm talking about, right? Yes. When, when this promo happened, had Triple H no-sold this promo, how catastrophic would that have been? It had killed the entire story right there. Because here's the thing, is like, for every person who knew who Cactus Jack was, there was a hundred people in the crowd who had no idea. And Triple H's reaction, without saying a word, just that look on his face, sold to you that, oh my God, this is the real deal. This Cactus Jack guy, I don't know who he is, but I need to find out who he is. And I cannot wait for this match because look at how absolutely terrified Triple H is. The game is terrified. And... And as great as that promo was, the catalyst to that promo, the greatness that it, that really holds up is solely on Triple H's face. 
he sells that like he is literally seeing like Cthulhu come out of the water. Like it is the most terrifying thing to him. And that sells all of it. Jacksville, when you look at the two characters in the two different versions of Mick Foley here with Mankind and Cactus Jack and the dude love thrown in there too, but just these two specifically, when he took the gear off and he became Cactus Jack, uh, the commentator said he had this menacing feel to him. Uh, do you feel like, even with the things Mankind had done in his career, do you think Cactus Jack was still the more menacing, more violent of all of his alter egos? Oh, hands down, 100%. And I have didn't get to experience it when it first happened, but I've gone back and I've watched all of his deathmatch stuff with Terry Funk and over at FMW and stuff. Out of the most sick and twisted out of the three is Cactus Jack. He's the one that doesn't care to hurt himself. He, mankind will hurt himself. Mankind will rip his hair out. He'll 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 put himself in danger. Dude, love's gonna be more of your showmanship. Hi, look at me. I'm Sean Michaels. But <laughs> Cactus Jack is straight up psycho. He's willing to put his body to the limit. And then some. Like he's the only wrestler I know, other than, and I'll use him. And I, I'm never mind. I'm not even gonna say his name because you can't put two wrestlers together. But he's the only wrestler I know that is crazy enough to wrap his body in barbed wire and jump off the apron at you. It might, it might suck. It's gonna hurt him a hell of a lot more. It's gonna hurt you, but he's still gonna do it. Ow. When I first said to you, hey, I'm, I need your help. I'm starting a wrestling podcast, but I don't know jack or shit about graphic design or you know any of that stuff. I need your help. And you were like, I don't know anything about wrestling. And I know for a fact, one of the first probably handfuls of matches I sent you was the street fight we're about to dive into. And I know you've seen this promo. And now that you know a couple years into it, what do you think about what that transition was like and what it was like to see Cactus Jack come back that night in that moment to, to fight Triple H? I think, like, it, like with everything that I know now, because, like, you're, that was, I think, well, the first match that I watched was Foley Undertaker. The Hell in a Cell the match at the King of the Ring, This was yeah. the second one on the list. Like, at the time, not knowing you know, the difference between, you know, Mankind and Cactus Jack, I would have been, I was like, okay, what does that mean? He's just being somebody else. But, like, now, like, it's it's so significant because, like, Mankind, you know, was always kind of like, I don't know, to me, I always, like, felt a little bad for Mankind. Like, he's... Just, it was that underdog. That yeah, kinda, the underdog. Especially the white button-up Mankind. Yeah. Not the brown Mason the Mutilator Mankind, but the underdog white button-up and the tie Mankind. It definitely had that underdog feel yeah, to him. Like, I get it. Oh, I feel bad for him. Like, mm, like almost like a Goliath little puppy. But then, like, you get Cactus Jack, and you're like, I don't know, he looks less crazy, but at the same time, like more crazy i don't know it's one of my favorite the street the street fight is one of my like favorite matches that i've ever watched like i've seen like the all the documentaries and stuff about like the i forget what the show is called the um 
You're watching it earlier. Oh, Untold. Yeah. Like, I've watched the Untold, like, this story about, like, how they piece all of that together, like, was amazing. Like, between, you know, the the injury with the, with the palate and, like, the things that happened between Stephanie and Triple H before that match. And, I don't know. It's just... There's a lot more beneath the surface of not only, like, the characters, but that match itself. Uh, rolling into it now. Royal Rumble 2000, Madison Square Garden. It's the mecca of pro wrestling, but that leads me to my first question. Jaxbo, in your opinion, is Madison Square Garden the mecca of pro wrestling? Is it still, like, the holy grail venue for all pro wrestling? As a fan, yes. There's I've never been to Madison Square Garden. It's on my bucket list. But when I think of big events in wrestling history that happened in Madison Square Garden, come on. I mean it's It's the big ones. It's up there. Madison Square Garden is what the twenty three hundred arena is to ECW. Or that is the, Madison Square Garden for WWE. The Mid-South Coliseum for Miss Memphis Wrestling. The Dallas Auditorium yes. for WCCW. Like, uh, Superbeard, now that I got you back chiming in on that, uh, do you think MSG is still the mecca of pro wrestling still today? A thousand percent. It's still the greatest arena uh, of all time. Sports entertainment or not. Why does my camera keep freezing? I'm still here, though, so I'll keep talking. Uh, it is... I'll switch to this one for now. Um, yeah, it's it's the mecca of, of all entertainment, not just sports entertainment. And uh, But the fact that sports entertainment has such a, a history there, and it's been so long since we've had anything other than a house show there. Like, it's uh, it's on my bucket list, too. I, I've yet to be able to go there. But um, it's absolutely a 1,000% just the, the epitome of the best arena. Even though it's not massive... It's not, you can't fit 100,000 people in there, whatever. It is still like the absolute mecca of sports entertainment. Um, I ask this a lot when I do my interviews and my five random questions. Um, what's the favorite venue you guys have ever seen a, a wrestling show in? What's like your personal favorite venue you've had a chance to see? Well, it's not the goddamn Alamo Dome with their fucking concrete stairs. <laughs> <laughs> um... My knee out trying to get to my goddamn. I have to. I would have to see most unique for me is AEW. And I've seen AEW in Daly's place, which Eddie Kingston's come out before in the dark saying this is their Madison Square Garden. But to see a wrestling event in an amphitheater where that sound, that sound ain't, there's the sound, it just goes out. Like it's almost like you might as well be outdoors. But that's probably the most unique to me, other than like armories, but that's not unique anymore. Yeah. I wanna see I wanna see a wrestling match in an old folks home before I die. That'd be cool. I've wrestled in an old folks place. Um, I wasn't there. Doesn't count. No, we gotta get we gotta get you there. Um for me, like besides the rain, Raymond James Stadium was pretty awesome for WrestleMania. Um I would say – 
Yeah, I didn't like, like the two rumbles I've been to. It was St. Louis and it was Texas. Texas was fun, but the Alamo Dome itself is very old and not updated. Yeah. Uh, That's how I feel about Nissan Stadium. They need fucking escalators or elevators bigger than a five. I had no problem getting to my seats. Well, that's because you had better seats than me. I was in the fucking nosebleeds. Uh, well, that's I had to walk up the arena flights of fucking concrete stairs. I didn't have to walk up a fucking stair. No. <laughs> I had to walk down them bitches. What are you talking about? But, like, Raymond James, like the outdoor stadium, Orlando is also a good stadium. Again, an outdoor stadium. As far as inside venues, like... CenturyLink isn't really inside either up in Seattle, but that's a great old. That's more of the fans, though. Like, that's the thing. See, I think that's what it is. I think to me, it's not just the arena. I think it's the fans. And I think it's one of the reasons that Madison Square Garden is such a great place because no matter what the show is, the crowd is always hot. Same as like last night for Elimination Chamber, I would have loved to have been there in Montreal because that crowd was so hot from start to finish, so hot. Like, uh, I thought Clash of the Castle, hell of, a, hell, hell of a crowd. Say what you want about the Saudi Arabia shows. At least those crowds are in it from start to finish, and it makes it worth it. Rumble, like, Alamo Dome, like, the, the criticisms of, of its age aside, that was a hot crowd, too. Like, they had a good time, and, like, it made the event. So it's not always just the arena itself. It's the crowds that come to it. And again, New York, Madison Square Garden will always be a hot crowd. Always. I think like uh, the Philadelphia. We're going to get Mania there next year. And that's going to be massively huge. But also like, just think about the, the ballroom. You know, where Raw had their first. Like, that's not, doesn't seem set up for a wrestling show. And yet, always hot crowds. That's what I'm saying. You wouldn't think an, an amphitheater is set up for a wrestling show. Like, so there's a lot like it depends and I've you know in my independent career I've wrestled a lot of like armories and bingo halls and gyms and stuff and as long as the crowd is hot even if it's 20 people if you've got all 20 of them just on their feet screaming the entire time that's what makes the location Al what's your favorite venue you've seen a wrestling show in? Um, Dalton Arena because it, it's neat looking like it's super old and outdated and needs to probably be torn down or renovated but like <laughs> it just looks fucking cool it screams 1982 like smoky arena full of cigarette smoke and like poorly lit with like the little 16 foot ring in the middle and old wooden folding chairs <laughs> like it screams old territory but it wrestling. looks cool hey, let, me see, let me see if i can show you one of these pictures like the windows on it are just like it's just neat looking. Like that's literally the only thing I can say is it like looks it looks cool. Hang on. Seeing a show at Dalton was cool. I've seen it at the Memphis Coliseum at the Mid South. Can you see it? Oh, it's got that old timey look. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Memphis Coliseum was cool, Dalton was cool. Um Municipal Auditorium has a lot of historic shows with the territory. Mm-hmm. Starcast has came through a ton there. Uh, so I've had a chance to see some really cool shows at Municipal. Uh, but, you know, segueing back to MSG in 2000, uh, Allison brought it up, the big suplex spot on the pallet with the shard of wood going in Triple H's leg. These guys knew they were going to war. One of the parts that stick out more than anything, though, is the barbed wire 2x4. Um, when you look at that spot, 
and we see the two the barbed wire two by four. You kind of felt that shifting in the crowd, like the way the crowd felt. Everything got turned up just that little bit more. Uh, Jacksonville, when you see something like that in wrestling now, do you still pop for it the same way you did as a kid, like twenty three years ago when we saw this for the first time? Do you still pop when they do when they bring out the extra furniture? Oh yeah, I popped when Darby Allen came out wearing a sweatshirt full of thumbtacks. Yeah, yeah that was. I thought cool. it was the coolest. I, I love the innovations of. Like I even thought, like I even popped a little bit when they were doing the impact was doing their digital media title. I mean, they still have it, but one of the rules is you can use like keyboards and stuff from it and like them using keyboards and like PlayStation controllers. I'm thinking that's, that's fucking unique. I don't pop as much for like a GCW event. Cause I know it's bound to happen, but when the, when like, when WWE brings something or AEW brings something out that's just out of the ordinary, I, yeah, I still pop. I pop for Jeff Jarrett's guitar shots every time. I love that shit. Who was it that had the tacks on their shoes recently? The Young Bucks. Young Bucks. Yeah, like I, uh, it was the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros. In the cage match for the title. Yeah. Ted, I, thanks for stopping by. Have a good night, brother. I don't like hey, super bro. What's anime up, super bro? DX as well, so eloquently named them. But I did think that those shoes were pretty cool. Like I, I still pop for like the the brawl on Thirty Fourth Street matches, like the Christmas matches and like the the orchestra street fight matches and stuff like that. I, I, because I'm also a goofy a goofy wrestling for life kind of guy. So when you get that, like, I'm not a huge hardcore fan. Like when you're you doing it to tell a story, like they're doing here with with Triple H McFoley, I love it because you're elevating the story. Uh, when you just do it for the sake of trying to get a pop in the crowd and it has no point, then I, I think it's dumb because you're also putting people's lives at, at risk. But, like, those Christmas street fights with the Christmas trees and the pies and shit, I love that shit. I love that, that stuff and, and incorporating it that way. But, like, get the tables still. Like, to this day, people still chant tables. Like, it's still a huge pop when you pull a table out, even though we've seen a, we've seen a table bump, what, a million times now? Still cool pop for it you still pop for it hell even playing a video game people are popping for a table like they do a tables match in a video game and they're popping for somebody going to a table there's just something about it that elevates it um i've done enough hardcore matches in my life i used to wrestle every tuesday night uh for american combat wrestling and that was all it was which is hardcore wrestling because we had to we had to keep the audience entertained and it was all a bunch of drunks on 25 cent draft night so we <laughs> wrestling to keep their attention i've got many concussions and injuries from it um so i'm not a huge fan of hardcore wrestling but like i said when you use it to elevate a story it makes sense all right i'm gonna ask you this question because you said it this week you said it last week um you loved kind of the the goofy comedy stuff in pro wrestling. One of the things they did well in this match, and uh, you'll you'll appreciate this, and I know that uh, I I hope that you run with it the way I think you will is the historic comedic moments that always involved the Spanish announced team. This match had one Foley went through the Spanish announced table on the the hell or the the Hell in a Cell match with Taker. Uh, the Spanish announce team has always been there for that kind of comedic relief in those hardcore matches. So ja uh, we're going to go in reverse order this time, Superbeard, then Jaxbo. Uh, what did you think about that? Like, they always seem to work the, the Spanish announce team into these big spot moments in WWE. 
it's a damn near 40 year old running gag that still Wait, yeah. works. One, like, two, I wish three, that four, five, six, seven, they still had a Spanish announce table during Raw and SmackDown. Like, I still wish they had that table there for that because, like, yes, like we saw it last night. Like, the, the announce table got destroyed twice last night, and there was only five matches, and two of them were inside the damn chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, but, like, if it, it just seems like there's a, it, because of the running gag of it all, there seems to be a bigger impact when you do the Spanish announce table. And I, I, what also helps is that the whoever's on the Spanish announce team, those guys react so well to it. And that's what sells the spot even more. And it, it just again, it's it's a running gag that has never died, but for some reason doesn't have to. Like it just it just worked all the time. And I, we've kind of gotten away from it because like I said, they don't have the Spanish announce table there anymore. And it kind of sucks. I wish it was still there. Because that is a, it's a pure moment. Because it also it, it 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 stops your commentators from being like they can still call the match instead of having to run away and like their headset getting ripped off or something and then we get in silence for a bit. They can just oh no the Spanish announce table and like it, it was always a thing that I loved very very much, and I I feel like we're kind of missing that right now. And I think that like AEW is truly missing the boat by having the commentators so far away from the thing. I think that you're missing a lot there. Um, I hated when Raw went to that for a while, when the Raw was doing the onstage. Uh, I didn't like that. It's just it plays a big part. And I want to see one show because you see a lot of these bigger pay-per-views where it's like, and we have our Spanish announce table, and our French announce table, and our Arabic announce table, and our Japanese announce table. I want one match where they go through every foreign announce table. <laughs> it, just, it just boom, boom, boom. Like, do that. I want that one time, at least. Give me every announce table. Just go through all the four, because especially since they line them up in that way on the hard cam side, underneath the hard cam. So you just, like, just go like had Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar been able to go through every four like how great would that have been? Just drag Just... somebody across all four tables. Yeah, but like halfway through the, the the guy gets the one guy getting slammed, he gets out of it, he turns the tables and then boom, now he's slamming the other guy through the rest of the tables. Like that just would have been awesome. I want that. They're listening, I'm sure they'll think the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, It'd be cool though. One of the things I you you can't talk about this match and not talk about when a wrestler bleeds during a street fight. Uh, when wrestlers get color, as they say, has been a very hot topic in 2023. Um, Jack, so do you think there's a big difference between what it meant for a wrestler in the year 2000 to get color the way Triple H and Cactus Jack did then? Versus what it means for somebody on AEW, WWE, or Impact to get color on their TV shows now, 23 years later. I I think nowadays it's over. I think it's AEW overplays it. Like, extremely, extremely overplays the bleeding. WWE kind of, it's unless it's the hard way, they're not even acknowledging that you can be busted open. I think blood back then, like especially the Rumble match, was perfect amount of color to get for this story. These two guys gave everything under the sun in this match. 
I don't and, and they got color the right way. Triple H started by stabbing himself with a with a pallet and then got smacked in the head with a two by four. I mean, nowadays getting color it's it gets used just as much just as much as a super kick does. Super beard. Flowing right into it. As somebody who spent quite a bit of time in the ring, you've had a chance to work with some pretty major promotions. Uh, you, you've paid more than one bill with a wrestling check. Uh, how do you feel about color now in wrestling versus 20 years ago when Triple H and Cactus Jack did the street fight? I fucking hate it now. Um, John Moxley sneezes and his forehead pours out four gallons of blood. Like... <laughs> It means nothing. It's the law of diminishing returns. It means absolutely nothing. When I was like, like you brought up the, the Darby Allen wearing that, that hoodie full of tax and shit. I didn't care about them getting blood. It meant nothing in that match because it they do it every single episode. It means nothing. And then on the on the flip side of that, I think that WWE has moved so far away from color that it's kind of lost its, its value there as well. So when it does happen, you're not thinking, ooh, this match got intense. It's, oh, shit, how are they going to make this black and white? How are they going to, like, cover this up? Who's going to get in trouble? Like, it's, it, it doesn't mean anything there. So there is a way to balance it. I just think, trip like, AEW has gone so far down the line with the blood. Like I said, it means absolutely nothing. It means nothing whatsoever. And you just expect it. And in fact, like I would be shocked to see a John Moxley match at this point where he doesn't bleed at some point. Like if we got a John Moxley match where he doesn't bleed, that might be the greatest John Moxley match of the year, just because you didn't expect it. And like the fact that they get color every single episode of AEW TV, it means nothing. And then with WWE, like you see the referees put their black gloves on, you look for somebody. So, like, oh, somebody got hurt for real because they don't blade, they don't come. So somebody broke their nose for real, and now you're just worried about the performer, and you're not worried about what's going on in the match. Allison, what do you think about it? Too much blood, not enough blood. I think that, and I don't necessarily think it's all of AEW. I think it's just like certain people feel like they have to bleed in a match. It's almost like if Mox doesn't bleed, he thinks that, like, he didn't do a match or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's too much. Like, it just like Subaru was saying, you know, it's one extreme to the other. There's too much on AEW and not enough on WWE. Like, people are fighting. You expect sometimes for there to be some blood. I mean, Sammy got fucked up last night. Like, he posted a picture of his back, like, super cut up and stuff. Like, you know, those are war wounds. Those are, you know, that's something that, like, actually occurred. But, like, you know, oh, Mox hit his face on the on the mat. His whole fucking forehead's bleeding. Like, that's not realistic. Like, if you're going to bleed, at least, like, try to make it from, like, oh, I got hit in the fucking face with a barbed wire 2 by 4 Like, yeah, you're going to bleed from that. Superbeard, something that Triple H has said in an interview, he said that him and uh, Foley got together after Triple H did some, uh, some film research. He said, let's do the stuff you guys were doing in MFW. Let's do that FMW stuff, but let's do it in a way that makes sense. When a wrestler says they want to do that stuff, but in a way that makes sense, how would you explain that to somebody in layman's term, what Triple H is trying to, to get across by that? Uh, what he's meaning by that is is ring psychology. 
it goes all the way back to ring psychology. It's like, yeah, we can do all this hardcore stuff, but we have to make it make sense of the story that we're telling in the ring and the story that we're telling overall. So it's it's not doing it just for the sake of doing it. It's it's doing it to where it makes sense. So the spot, like, why did he pull out the barbed wire uh, two by four? Because he was desperate. Because it looked like, you know, he his plan, you know, yeah, he may have talked about retiring after this match. It was his last match. It was his last go. But he wanted to go out on top. And it didn't seem like Triple H was going to give up. It seemed like Triple H was given 110%. So he had to pull out the big guns. But he didn't want it pulled out within the first 30 seconds just for shock value. So it was. it's really just about telling the story. Also during this match, Triple H's mom is in the crowd. Uh, Jacksonville, at one point Triple H gets clotheslined over the top rope he flips over and he hits the barricade and he's you know he's got the the crimson mask as ross would put it uh he's he's sitting there and he's blubbering and his mom's sitting there like what do you think what do you, what does that mean like in the realism and like the the symbolism behind it and like using his mom without her even knowing that's going to be a part of what they do like uh adding that texture to the story like what did you think about that aspect of it when I was younger, I thought that it was sad because I was like, man, this guy's got to, his mom's got to watch him get his ass beat. <laughs> but I didn't know the difference. I didn't know the difference. If, if, like, everything was kayfabe to me. But I was Still like, this me, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, but it, it gave you that little extra emotion. And I mean, it was just something subtle, something slight. But I mean, when they do the family thing now, it's kind of like giving away, like, oh, so and so's family members in the crowd. What well, we know who's winning tonight? Yeah, like Jay Carhill's daughter. If you want to know if she's winning or losing, her daughter's in the crowd. Well, I mean, Sammy's wife was out there last night, and he didn't win. That's the exact opposite for WWE. You're not allowed to win in your hometown if you work for them. Or your birthday. If you wrestle yeah. on your birthday, you're guaranteed taking an L on your birthday. We saw Bianca win in her fucking L. We did see Bianca beat Becky. We uh, saw Bianca yeah. beat Becky in Knoxville. Yes, we did. There's always exceptions to the rule in WWE. There's always going to be an exception to the rule, but the rule is if you're in your hometown, you lose. It's like Big E was in Tampa at WrestleMania and lost to Bobby Lashley. Like, it happens all the time. Whereas in AEW, you're guaranteed a win if you're in your hometown. Like, there has been no exception to that rule recently. So much to the point where they they give the belt to John Moxley in a complete squash of CM Punk only a week and a half later to give it back to Punk in Chicago to give a hometown win. So, again, makes no fucking sense. But, hey, Tony Khan, Booker, uh, two-time Booker of the Year. Fucking bullshit. So, we get to the finish of the match. There's the pedigree and then the kick out. Okay. Then they do the pedigree the second time on the thumbtacks. You know, Foley historically says, like, I might lose an eye, but think about the pop. Um, this question isn't about the thumbtacks, though. This question is about protected finishers. Up until this point, nobody had kicked out of the pedigree yet. Foley was the first person in WWF, WWE, to kick out of this finisher. Um, this is big for me because uh, Kenny Omega doesn't do the one-weeded angel unless he knows he's going to get the pinfall for the victory. Um, you know, there seems to be very few finishers that are truly protected anymore. 
um, Jacksonville Perfect. Superbeard, either one of you, can you think of any finisher that was protected as well as the pedigree was up until this moment? Baron Corbin's end of days. Up until Drew McIntyre did it that one time, and still he's the only person to ever do yep. it. Yep. I can't um, think of very many. Uh, the Tombstone for a long time, but then even people started kicking out of that. I would say the Stunner was really protected for a long time. For sure. Uh, people's Elbow. The Rock wouldn't do the People's was... Elbow unless he was going to finish him with it. Uh, Mankind kicked out of the People's Elbow and Stone Cold kicked out of it. And those were arguably two of his biggest rivals outside of Cena, maybe. Uh, but both of them did, but not very many people kicked out. I guess protected finishers. Um, what does that mean to you guys? Do you think there's still a thing or is it now just everything's a super kick party? Well, it's absolutely so rare. Uh, I can think of, like I said, the one winged angel is the only one I can think of in wrestling right now. That is a hundred percent win rate. It's the only one I can think of. Depending on who's hitting the one winged angel. Because if Will Ospreay hits the one winged angel, you can kick out of it. Kenny Omega is one winged angel. Okay. He's the one that is protected. But it's not it's it's not Osprey's finisher, it's just he's just using it to piss off Omega. But like Baron Corbin, like I said, only one person has ever kicked out of that move. And other than that, it's hundred percent besides that one time. Um the thought of a, a of a protected finisher nowadays is so rare because and it kind of started around that time, maybe a little bit before in the Attitude Era, like with the kicking out of the tombstone or whatever. But like getting that pop, like, oh, match is over. He hit his finisher. Oh, my God, somebody kicked out. Now we get so many false finishes that it, it's almost impossible to protect a finisher nowadays. I mean, just look at the match last night with Sammy. Like that, by the way. Sammy and Roman had some of the best false finishes I've seen in a very long time. I likened yes. it to Steamboat Savage because in that match, the only difference is in Steamboat Savage, they didn't use a finish until the very end. Sammy and Roman both hit a Superman punch. They both hit a spear. Sammy hit the the Blue Thunder bomb. Uh, both of them hit Superman punches. You know, they all hit their, their signatures and their finishers both with these hair pin false finishes and the importance of a false finish to build that anticipation because there were points where we thought sammy was going to win and the and thank you for bringing it up Superbeard, because those false finishes are so crucial in a match especially one where everybody's not exactly sure because by the time saturday night got here none of us were a hundred percent convinced anymore that roman was guaranteed to walk out with both those titles not real Real quick, I have to step away and give my dad his night shot. No, go second. ahead, Jackson. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think the false the false finish is is it, it gets it's something else that's kind of gotten overused, like the super kick party, like you mentioned, because it happens like you're getting false finishes on every TV show now and everything, and it doesn't you don't get that same kind of impact. But especially back then, the false finish was huge, and there's something else that Mick Foley would do, even after he'd lost. If he took a pinfall, one, two, three, he'd kick his leg after the three. Kept him looking somewhat strong. Just that hair. He would, uh, I've heard yeah. him describe it, and he's like, when you know you've got to kick out at that 2.999, he was like, you'll always lay with just the right angle to where nobody can see you're watching the ref's arm except for you. And he kind of explained like the psychology behind how you watch the three count happen. 
And he said the same thing. He was like, when I see it, I'll hear and I'll feel the thud. One, two. And he says, as soon as he feels that third thud, he kicks out. Like the moment he feels it. And he's like, it's that, the way to protect himself. And I said the, I used that analogy last night with Sammy because he got, he got the visual win over Roman with the pin, but there was no ref. You know, same thing that happened in Steamboat Savage. Uh, when he when the ref took the bump in that match, Macho Man hit the elbow. He got the visual win, pin, one, two, three. But without the ref being there, there was nobody to do it. So it protected him. Same thing with Sammy. Sammy got the visual win. They used the same tactic with Charlotte and Ronda last year. Uh, where where Charlotte tapped out, but there was no ref to see, the, to see it. Uh, so we see this tactic a lot, and I like it. It's one of those... Like you said, it's a way to protect the person without making them look like they're taking the the L without it being a close fight. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, Mick Foley is the absolute greatest at that. And you saw it in that match, too. Like, in everything they did, like even then, even after getting pedigreed into thumbtacks, you know, he that, that leg kick after the three, just like an attempt to get up. Like, his, his shoulders don't move. Like, he's down. But, like, there's still that, I'm not giving up. That kind of yeah, and it, I think it not only protected him, but it protected the entire story. And I think that's key. So when Triple H got the win, that was supposed to be it for Foley. He said, "Okay, I'm done." They thought their story had been done. He had given Triple H the rub. Triple H had shown I can be the top star of the company now. Foley was riding out on the 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 you know the the strays and the highs of being that guy again and not being just the guy with the socks so to speak you know what I mean like he came back he showed he could work he had worked better than he had in years but once again because of some major injuries Eddie Guerrero had an elbow dislocation at the time uh, some other major injuries were at play Vince calls Mick up and he's like hey Mick how about one more go I need you to come back. So roughly a month after the Royal Rumble street fight, we go into No Way Out in 2000. Um, it's the career versus title match now. Triple H says, you want another shot at the title, you can have it. But if I beat you this last time, you've got to go. You're out, of, you're out of wrestling for good. And Cactus Jack says the only way he's going to accept those terms is if it's in a Hell in a Cell match. Um, do you think the Hell in a Cell... Uh, Jackson, I'll let you tee this one off since you're back. Do you think the Hell in a Cell was the ultimate payoff to a story or a feud? Was the Hell in a Cell bigger than a street fight? Oh, hands down, yes. The just the the aura of what a Hell in a Cell is is down to it. If you if you can't come, it doesn't matter. Street fight, dog collar. If you can't come to the a good conclusion, put him in a cage. And I just think being locked in a cage with with Cactus Jack. Pretty fucking terrifying, friend. No, thank you, sir. <laughs> mm -mm. I, uh, I don't know you locked me in a cage with my ex-mother-in-law. I wouldn't want to be in a Hell in a Cell match with Cactus Jack. That's for sure. Uh, uh, Superbeard, do you think the Hell in a Cell as we see it now, and I use this analogy, you know, then versus now, because we still see Hell in a Cell matches now. We still, up until this coming year, it's always, it eventually became its own standalone pay-per-view. Um, do you think the Hell in a Cell match now, though, now that it was a standalone pay-per-view and we got one every year, no matter what, do you think it lost some of its lore 
and some of that like prestige and attraction because it was a uh, an annual thing now versus being just this big payout. Oh, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. It lost all its luster, really. And then I think what killed it, and they're gonna have to, they're still gonna have to build up a lot, and they're working on it. But that, you know, Bray Wyatt, Seth Rollins, Hell in a Cell was just a nail in the coffin for it. But yeah, once it became its own pay per view, it just it, it had no meaning anymore. And it's not like the Elimination Chamber. Like the Elimination Chamber pay per view, it makes sense. You're not ending feuds in there because it's six people in the match. You're just setting up stipulations for something later. So it works. A Hell in a Cell is meant to be the end of a feud. It is meant to be the end-all, be-all match, the final conclusion. And back you know, when Triple H and Captain Jack did it, it still meant that. And now like, they're trying to make it something again, but they're still, it's still going to take some time to rebuild the, the prestige of a Hell in a Cell and the... the the, the fear of Hell in a Cell because for so many years you got it every single year and there's the amount of people on a roster that should have that can say they've been in a Hell in a Cell is far too many like it should be a much lower number than what it like it when over half your roster has like yeah I've been in a Hell in a Cell like it's it's it loses it so it now yeah nowadays they mean nothing and it's going to take a lot to build it back up. But back then, boy, did it mean something. It was, and it was a hell of a payoff. Allison, as a wrestling fan, what do you think of the hell in a cell match? Do you think it needs to be its own attraction, the ultimate payoff, or should it be its own pay-per-view? We've talked about it on the show ad nauseum a lot of times where we've said Money in the Bank needs to go back to WrestleMania. Hell in a Cell should be the payoff, not necessarily just the the gimme match. Um, Elimination Chamber was one of those, but I feel like it it is that symbolic once-a-year thing. You know, like, it hasn't popped up periodically in Saudi Arabia or whatever. We only get Elimination Chamber now here. But since they use it in Saudi and they use it at these other shows and we get at least one at the Hell in a Cell show, it's like if we get two Hell in a Cell matches every year, it doesn't mean as much, right? Uh, what do you think about it? I think a gimmick match doesn't need to be an entire pay-per-view. Like, here's the thing. Like, if every match of the pay-per-view was in that cell, fine. You know, whatever. But, like, why are you going to name an entire pay-per-view off of one, maybe two matches if they force a female hell in a cell. Like, it just seems forced. Like you said, it's not, like, organically fit into the story. It's forced into the story. Super Bro says that Hell in a Cell should have never been its own pay-per-view, and it looks like we all completely agree with him. Yeah. I mean, Money in the Bank, like, you know, there's a little more, I guess, pomp and circumstance with that. But honestly, like, they could do it at Mania. They could even do it on Raw or SmackDown. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think it necessarily needs to be a pay-per-view either. Superbeard Jaxpo, do you guys have any input on that about these gimmick matches? Do you think they still need their own pay-per-views, or do you think they should be kind of the, the payoffs like we've been talking about? Gimmick matches should always be your final payoff. Unless it's lethal lockdown. And TNA's lockdown, where they did every match in six sides of steel. I think, see, that's kind of what she was saying. If at the Hell in a Cell, every match took place in a cell, that would be different. But to have a 10-match card and only one or two of them be in the cell, it seems kind of... It could be anything else and, be, and yeah. still have those two Hell in a Cell matches, I guess. 
See, there, there are certain gimmick matches. Like I said, the Elimination Chamber, that one makes sense to me as a pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, if we turn Survivor Series into War Games Survivor Series, that makes sense to me. Uh, because, again, it's a team thing, so it's not uh, as big. It's not a, it's not a blow-off style match. It's just a massive match. I think Money in the Bank, I like that as a pay-per-view. I don't want that match added to WrestleMania, even with a two-day WrestleMania, because you're taking two slots from people who deserve WrestleMania slots like to provide their own stories. Uh, but I do think it's a big enough it's a big enough moment that shaping a pay-per-view around you're getting a contract for a world title in this hellacious match, but you're not ending a story there because it's just about getting that contract and actually kicking off your story. So by kicking off your story and you're hot for the world title at a pay-per-view event, that makes sense to me. So you see it kind of like the Royal Rumble. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. I see it like the Royal Rumble. And so the, for me, Money in the Bank is a, another version of the, just a ladder, ladder match style version of the Royal Rumble. And, but like when you take a map, like TLC as a pay-per-view, TLC was so massive as a match, like what they did at WrestleMania those couple times with the Dudleys and, and Edge and Christian and the Hardys, they turned it into a pay-per-view, but then it just, again, you lose the lackluster of a TLC match because, again, two or three matches are TLC matches in a pay-per-view of 10 matches. And it's just like, why are we naming the pay-per-view a TLC if it's just so happens to be a, a stipulation for a couple matches. It just, it, 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 again, it, it happens every year, so you know it's coming, and it loses that luster. Because what do you gain from that? A TLC match should be a payoff. It should be either a payoff or an ending to a feud payoff, not a yearly pay-per-view where we're just going to throw people into a TLC match. All right, so at this Hell in a Cell match, these guys used everything, including the kitchen sink. They climbed on top of the cage. They went through the cage. Um, they kind of, they took everything they did in the street fight. They turned it up to 11, including the flaming barbed wire spot. Um, one of the things that you run the risk of, um, I'm going to let you tee off with this one, Superbeard, is in the wrestling world, they say if you do everything in the first match, there's not a lot to do in the second match. If you go through a table, if you have a, you know, everything's on fire, there's chairs, there's tacks. If you do everything in the first match, they don't, it doesn't leave you a lot in act two, so to speak. Do you think they left any breathing room going into this hell in a cell with how much of a banger that street fight was? I mean, obviously we know that the outcomes of the matches and what happened, but do you think looking at it, they were out, they had a fear of, okay, we did so much. How are we going to outdo ourselves now? I absolutely think they had a fear of it because the feud was supposed to be over with the street fight. Like it wasn't supposed to continue on. And like you said, circumstances kind of required Vince to call Nick to Mick back. So they of course went out there and put everything out there. So like, they're like, Oh no, what I'm sure there was a moment of fear. Like how do we top what we did when we went out there and gave it our all. Uh, but at the same time, I think they did it. I think they were able to go out there. I, I still put the street the street fight over the hell in a cell for me, but it's like a 1A, 1B situation. It's not a, oh, that was so bad. It was just, it's a 1A, 1B. And uh, they, I think, gave it their all to try to top the street fight out of necessity because, like I said, they weren't expecting it at all. Jacksville, what do you think? I think the street fight out of me was the best one because they gave it their all. But 
I think with adding another stip- like them being in another gimmick match with Hell in a Cell, it gave him kind of a fresh canvas to go. Okay, let's plan some. Let's see what else we can do. Um, Triple H said in this match that he had the chair shot. You know, in the nether region, he said that when wrestlers have to sell a shot in the nuts, there's a fifty-fifty chance that it's a real shot in the nuts. Uh, Superbeard, as the resident worker, my friend. Uh, is it that often? Is it a 50-50 chance, or do those fake nut shots turn into real nut shots way more than 50% of the time? No, no, it's not 50-50. I think that's an exaggeration. It's more like 70-30. Uh, <laughs> I'll pick you the nuts, and we'll see if I'm good at it or not. It's just, I think a baby's good at it. Every, you kick somebody in the nuts, I don't care how bad you are at kicking. You kick somebody in the nuts, it hurts. And all those nut, like nut shots, especially that chair shot. There's, I'm sorry, there's just no faking it, but like, to me, one of the most obvious ones that people are, I, I, I want to bring up is the, you're on the top rope and they pull your leg and you gotta, you gotta straddle the top rope. Fuck that spot. That sucks. What so, about a shattered dreams? That's, now see with that one, if done correctly, he's kicking the turnbuckle behind you and not actually hitting you. Worst so case that was, scenario, you get the reverberation of it, right? And it's just going to kind of like. The aftershock's well, going to kick you in the nuts, more so than his boot. On a Shattered Dreams, it's up to the person taking the hit to not sink below the turnbuckle. They have to. You want to sell like you're kind of out of it, but you need to keep yourself elevated to where his shin bone isn't like straight in the dick. Yeah. So he can kick the turnbuckle and not kick you. Um, so that's where you, it falls into the 30% of kayfabe. But the 70% of the time, especially like that, that chair shot, in the nuts that Triple H took. Fuck that spot. Like, how he had kids after that, I have no idea. How any wrestler has children surprises me. Jaxpo, if yes. you got paid a million and a half dollars or whatever Triple H was getting paid in 2000 to wrestle, would you take a 70-30 nut shot for a million dollars? That'd take a 70-30 nut shot for 50 bucks right now. <laughs> <laughs> Superbeard, no, I mean, what about, what about you, Superbeard? Would you get hit in the nuts for you know seventy thirty chances? Well, I mean, you're a wrestler, so obviously you'll take a seventy thirty nut shot. He'll do it for a hot dog and a handshake. <laughs> Dogs and handshakes, like I did it for a hot dog and a handshake. Now I was promised money every time I was promised money, but it ended up being hot dogs and handshakes. But yeah, like a million and a half dollars, I'm doing it, but like I'm not happy about it. Um, <laughs> But I'm doing it. But also, like, the thing is, is, like, I'm not doing it if it doesn't make sense to the story. And that made sense to everything they were doing. Like, they found a way to work it in. It made sense ring psychology-wise and everything else. So I was perfectly okay with it. Like, yeah, I take that shot every day of the week. Just, you know, again, I'm getting paid a million and a half dollars and I'm putting on one hell of a show. Sure. Yeah, let me do it. Jaxbo. A very key and focal point of this story at this is Stephanie McMahon Helmsley. Uh, we've seen different variations of Steph from when she first came into the, the company as the shy, nervous daughter of the, the owner, all the way through the women's world champion to being, you know, WWE's boss bitch in charge and chief brand officer and eventually CEO 
Um, what do you think about the evolution of Stephanie throughout her career, but specifically where Stephanie was at at this point alongside Hunter being the game and what they were doing in WWE? I think she was a homewrecker. Hunter, Hunter and China had the, had a perfect relationship and she came in there and she done wrecked up the home, stirring up the pot. Couldn't let, <laughs> just let dogs lie. Listen, sir, you, sir, sir, yeah, in my opinion, not yours. That is not at all what happened. That is what happened. So She's a homewrecker. <laughs> she is a backstabbing homewrecker who stole China's man. Ben. It is not what happened. China and yeah, yeah. were already broken up when the first fake kayfabe version of the marriage happened. Uh, yeah, because Stephanie McMahon was doing a little... No. They coming in his ear and shit. They didn't date my daddy for two- owns the company, Trips. <laughs> yeah, my daddy owns the company. <laughs> the kayfabe marriage is when they dated. China and Triple H have been broken up for a long a after- by the time they dated. According home to China's, docu- like, China's documentary... Like she made when she was high the whole time. Hey, it doesn't matter. It came hey, out. I'm high all the whole time, and I'm a hell of a yeah. Jokes. So am I. <laughs> not on, you're not on what she was on. <laughs> true, very, very true. <laughs> sister has flat out said that documentary is full of shit. Well, never I don't believe her sister. I think her sister's full of shit. I think that just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you can't be wrong. Because when your opinion of, is about something objective, like the fact that Triple H and China weren't even together. It's wrong. And that's something to be put out there. Yes. It's, Stephanie it's, was wrong for doing that <laughs> to China. You are it needs to be out there. Right now by putting out false facts about it. You are the I, misinformation, sir. I'm not false facts. It. Go back and watch China's documentary and watch what came out of China's lips. Okay. That's the most facts you need. Then how about you go look at the interview she did after the documentary where she said she didn't mean half the shit she said. And that that shit. Once I watch that, which I just choose not to watch. (laughs) Even China put out misinformation herself, which happens all the time. People all do it. I think she was under narcotics when she said she put out misinformation. But I think the playing devil's advocate here. But she made a documentary. But I get to play devil's advocate here because, because I had Russo on the show. Um, that guy. But Sorry. but my point is he was the he was the guy sitting in the chair a lot going through the attitude era for a little bit of it. And he was very close verse personal friends with China all the way up until the very end. And he told us during the interview that if WWE had just answered the phone, they think the last few weeks of that woman's life would have been very, very different. I agree with that. I agree with that for sure. Um so I, I think that whether well, Steph was a home wrecker or not, I think there's some uh, there's some questionable points where if you end one relationship and you immediately start another one, like was that second one there before the first one ended kind of thing? You see what I'm saying? Years. It wasn't immediately after. It was two. Yeah. The one started immediately after. The kayfabe one on screen started immediately after. I feel like I should move the squares to opposite sides of the screen now to put me and Superbeard on one side and Allison and Jacksonville on the other. <laughs> You're a homewrecker, and Allison knows it, and I know it, and that's all that matters. And I don't tell my mama you're bigging on me. Y'all are fucking on a wrestling at this point. You're the fucking queuing on a wrestling. You Newsmax motherfuckers. That is false shit. What did we get called? We got called Russian Russian City Radio Russian the other City day because we got told oh, we were editing hosts. I got I got called, and you could ask Super Weird this. I got called a um, 
I don't know if I can actually say the dude's name. Schmindler, because because I use TikTok. Then I'm a Schmindler supporter because I use TikTok. Yeah, yeah, he was a uh, yeah, because yeah, he was a uh, he had a very small mustache in the '40s, um, and not <laughs> as Jay likes to say. But yeah, at least he wasn't wrecking homes like 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 Stephanie McMahon was wrecking wrecking home. No, well, this, this whole segment went way better than I thought it was going to when I asked Jaxo that question. That, You're welcome. China went to God and God stepped in and messed up his microphone so he couldn't say that shit again. <laughs> she said, stop it. We gotta y'all, stop this nonsense. Newsmax, Fox News bullshit. Y'all go hang out with Tyrus and fucking Ben Shapiro and shut the fuck up. Because that is false bullshit information getting put out there. And the reason, and it's shit like that, it's, like it, it's the dirt sheets and it's shit like that that makes Russell talk so fucking toxic. It's shit like that. And I know that you're joking, Ginger, and I know that you're not actually meaning this shit. But fucking that is the exact, like the people that actually mean that shit. Fuck those people, man. Fuck those people. Fuck them. I'm so tired of toxicity. I have a fucking podcast called Wrestling with Toxicity to fight that shit. Because fuck that shit. Fuck it. But to see her evolution to becoming shy. Oh, shut it up. Damn it. To, oh, I to just wrote down bit. the time clip for that. I'm going to clip the fuck out of that for a TikTok. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. But to see her go from shy Stephanie to a little bit more out there a little bit more out there booby job booby job well super bro said it best i think stephanie made a promise to herself that every time she gets a promotion she also gets a boob job well you gotta get booby jobs hey hey that's i get a you... promotion i'll get a booby job i'm gonna hold you to that sir clip that as well somebody clip that i'm gonna hold him to that <laughs> got it <laughs> I am working on getting Jax paid for this. So once I get him to where this is actually getting paid to do this on, on a, for a career, I'm like, all right, where's your boob job, sir? <laughs> We're going to hold you to it now. The promotion. Uh, Al, what did you think of Stephanie's evolution as a character, as a female who watches pro wrestling? Because you've seen quite a bit of her career now, all the way from being the, the young, shy, stupid kid, all the way through being the boss bitch. I think that Stephanie is amazing. Other than being a home wrecker? (laughs) (laughs) No, like, I, like, I didn't really care for, like, shy Stephanie because it just made her look weak, and she's not, she's definitely not weak. I mean, she is the ultimate boss bitch. Um, But, like, in the documentaries and stuff about, like, this time, like, this was really in, like, the early stages of her and Triple H's, like, actual relationship and she talked about that she wasn't even sure that he liked her until it was on the walk to the cell or the yeah the walk to the cell for the hell in the cell match where he kissed her because that was wasn't supposed to happen that was completely unscripted that kiss that he gave to her was a was their genuine first kiss Ever. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, it's cool to see, like, the evolution of their relationship. Like, it's starting off as this, like, you know, this work, and then, like, them spending so much time together that they, you know, fell in love. It's like a beautiful Lifetime movie or some shit. Um, I used to work with my boss's, I used to date my boss's daughter, and it did not end that well. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> what part of that did you ever think was going to end well? 
I don't know, man. You watch Triple H and Stefan and you think maybe there's a shot, right? It's real. Like I said, it's real to me. First. You got to wreck the home first, then move in. Oh, so I should have dated his wife and not his daughter? Is that what you're exactly, saying? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> wow. So who's the home wrecker now, Jaxbo? Who's the home wrecker now? I'm just giving you the advice and then say I was a home wrecker. Hmm. Hey, I, my, my, I divorced my first wife because she, uh, she was a home wrecker. Let me just put it that way. I've divorced she wrecked my, my home. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> uh, flaming barbed wire spot. We talked about um, some of the spots. I said they turned them up to 11. Um, do you think this was like that pinnacle, Superbeard? Uh, them standing on top of the cage, lighting it on fire. Everything that had they had done over the last two and a half months up to this match. Um, like, was it? Was this it? Was that it? Like mankind standing there with the flaming two by four. Was this the apex for them in this this payoff of this series? Yeah, I think so. I I think that it was. It just it's kind of hard to get much bigger than that. Although I think Mick Foley has gotten bigger than that, uh, like specifically like the Edge match. But like for them, it really was that kind of it was that pillar moment. It was that it was that that Mount Everest that peak moment, which is it was the shock because again. How often have we seen fire besides Inferno matches? But how often have we really seen fire in a, in a wrestling match for WWE? Fire so, is fire is a protected finish. Fire is definitely a protected finish. That's for sure. There's very few times guys kick out of fire. <laughs> I mean, Cody did. I was saying Cody kicked out of fire. Well, Cody. No, Cody was the one giving Andrade the move. The reverse suplex. Yeah. Even though he was the one that went through the table and went through the fire to take it. Yeah. Um, Superbeard, the bump through the cage, uh, which was more impressive to you when he got thrown off the cage through the, the ring with the taker through the top of the cage the first time against taker or the second time he went through it against uh, Cactus J- or against Triple H? Which of the three Mankind bumps uh, do you think I, was the it, most impressive? I think the most impressive is the Triple H one because he'd already went through that hell and the fact that he was still willing to do it, but this time they, you know, it was planned out much better as well. Um, I think that the first throw off the top of the of the Hell in a Cell against Taker was, I don't want to say impressive, awe-inspiring, shocking, absolutely insane. Uh, but I'm not impressed by somebody trying to kill themselves. Um, the bump into the cage in the Taker match almost killed Taker. Uh, had he stepped one inch further to the right, he'd have died. Like he'd have went over and and, and the fact that Foley lived through that was insane in and of itself as well. But you saw how he landed because it wasn't planned. That spot wasn't supposed to happen yet. Like they had a gimmick thing, but they thought they were in a different section. Like they gimmicked the wrong panel. Um, the fact that it was planned out and it looked it looked so brutal and yet it wasn't nearly as brutal for Mick Foley to take it as, as the other two is impressive. Because it looked brutal and it looked maybe more brutal than, than the, the second bump in from the Hell in a Cell. Um, but the fact that he was kind of protected and they planned it and they did a good job with it, yeah, I think it's more impressive. For me, it's the, in the taker match, the two through the nose that... Uh... <laughs> Just it's like the the icing on the cake for it being like the crazier one. So, Jaxpo, which do you think is the biggest of the the three mankind bumps off the Hell in a Cell? 
takers. The, the first one, one. the announce table. Yep, because it was the first time. Like I like I seen it. I was like, oh, he dead. I'm pretty sure I just watched the real man die. <laughs> I got a little excited. The irony is, I didn't expect each one of you to pick each one of those three matches. So I'm excited that it came to me and I get to be the, the tiebreaker here. I didn't see that happening. Um, I appreciate all three bumps. Superbeard, I agree with you a thousand percent. For him to have done it two, after two matches like that and still take that bump says, I always say Mick Foley did more for the business because he showed everybody what the human body is capable of for the sport. So that's why I put him on my Mount Rushmore. Uh, Al, the bump through the cage the first time when the, the tooth came through, the symbolism of what he continued to do to finish telling that story, then coming back out in the main event that night, amazing. But uh, I'm going with Jack's bow. As uh, I was 12, almost 13 in 1998 when this bump happened, and I, was, I just told this story earlier to a friend that when I was young, part of my you know, my chores and my allowance was to pay for the monthly pay-per-view so I could watch wrestling on Sunday nights, you know, when they would do the big ones. And I was almost 13 years old and watched that pay-per-view live, and I 1,000% agree with Jax. I remember popping and thinking, Mick Foley is fucking dead. Like, mankind is dead. I just, I, nobody expected him to get up because we didn't know how to react because I had never seen anything like that. So, uh... So I'm going to break the tie. I'm going to go with Jacksville and say it was the uh, the Hell in a Cell bump at King of the Ring. I think that was that's my favorite, what I think was the most impressive of the three. So after Triple H got the pin, he got the finish after the bump, the pedigree, one, two, three. Mankind once again tries to ride off into the distance. Um... This wraps up the story. We get to WrestleMania 2000 in the build. Triple H is still the WWE champion. Uh, this is where we get into the fatal four-way match, and it wasn't initially supposed to be a fatal four-way. We had the three McMahon, Steph, Shane, and Vince. They all had somebody in their corner. Steph with Triple H, Shane with Big Show, Vince with the corporate rock at that point. And then Linda came in, and she was like, we're going to correct this family. I'm going to make it work. I'm throwing somebody into this match. So it's now a fatal four way. And they finally give Mick Foley his WrestleMania moment and let Mick headline a WrestleMania. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This still stands as the only main event he ever did at WrestleMania. Right guys. And, mm -hmm. uh, this was kind of the ultimate payout. Triple H wins the fatal four way. Uh, mankind gets the main event. Tr uh, WrestleMania, this story comes to a head. Mankind retires. Triple H goes on to win the upteen million championships he has. Um, but for you guys, do you think WrestleMania and that payoff was kind of like the coup de gras for, uh, for Mankind? Was that the last thing he needed, short of maybe winning a Royal Rumble or some of these one-offs? Was main eventing WrestleMania the only notch in his hat he didn't have yet? I would say so, because I, I, I don't think the Rumble really mattered to him. I think it was just that the Mania is the one that mattered. And so for him to finally get that main event, he like, okay, okay, now I really think if I get a call to come back, I don't necessarily need to say yes. I think it might have been an extra, I mean, granted he does. But, like, he could have easily said no from then on out and been okay. I think he'd have been good, you know, world champion, WrestleMania headliner, Massive matches, historical moments. I think he was good at that point. Jacksville, what you think? I think it was a perfect ending. There's, 
he got his three three great matches in a series with a rival that he's had for years. And their storytelling, he got what he he got what he deserved. He got his feather in his head. He got his WrestleMania. He got his main event. I don't think his WrestleMania moment came until Edge. To be honest, that flaming table spot to me will always be Mick Foley WrestleMania. Like, I, I think so too. But up until this point, this this, this was, was his moment. Yeah. yeah, this was his moment, and he got the moment in the main event against three of the top guys in the business of that. I mean, look who's in the ring with. I mean, in the ring with The Rock and Triple H and Big Show. If you had told me after after Rock and Sock connection thing that Foley'd ever be back in the ring with The Rock, I'd have laughed at you. Hmm. Like, no, nah, The Rock's too big for him. The Rock had blown up after that yeah. point. Like, it Huge. was nuts. For sure. Um, Al, what was your opinions of it to, to finally see Foley hit that main event moment in uh, WrestleMania? So, funny story. I have not seen this match. Really? This was never on any list. That you ever gave me. Okay, so outside of the documentary stuff, you've never actually seen the pinfall one, two, three, bell to bell of this match. No. Okay, well, I'm going to not clip that because that's embarrassing for me as the host of this show. It's embarrassing (laughs) for you as my friend to have not put that on, like, the list of when I said, hey... Make me a list of all the wrestling matches that you think that I should watch, and it wasn't on there. To be fair, this isn't one of those. If you look at rock matches or Foley matches or Triple H matches or even Big Show matches, this is seldom on anybody's list for all-time greats of any of these guys. Fair. You've seen all the great Foley matches. You've seen a lot of the great Triple H matches and the rock matches. This isn't one of those like five-star blockbuster Ricky the Dragon versus Macho Man style Mick Foley Cactus Jack matches. That's not what this is. <laughs> well, so um, feel ne- nearly as bad for not have seen. Okay, well, with it being WrestleMania season and all, my final question for you guys before we plug it and go home is, uh, what is your all-time favorite WrestleMania? Oof. Mine would be WrestleMania 17. First one I actually was able to watch as a kid, like, bell to bell from beginning to end so it always had that soft little spot in my heart yeah i mean 17 is definitely probably my all-time favorite although like 30 you know like uh the one that we had in tampa after the pandemic i got to go in person so that holds a special place in my heart um and also the first live two-day uh wrestlemania but I think 17 is just something special. It really is just something special. Also, like 24 holds a very special place in my heart solely for the Ric Flair retirement match, which to me, that was his retirement match, and he's never wrestled since, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but like, even to this day, I would watch this match and I'll cry at the end of that match because it's like. You're spreading false rumors, sir. He did wrestle one more time. He wrestled several times after that. But Thank I don't you. acknowledge those exist. I don't acknowledge those matches, and I don't acknowledge that. Those were Stephanie's. This is a home record. No, uh, every match after that was an exhibition. It was not an actual match. Al, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your favorite WrestleMania? Um, I'm gonna 
say probably three, and it's because it's the first one that I've watched from beginning to end. From bell to bell. Mm-hmm. That that works. Uh, three is my favorite because I think it was the best uh, best card. Um, it's one of the better bookings, I think, from beginning to end. I think my biggest takeaway from it was they needed to put Ricky the Dragon and Macho Man as the semi-main event. It was the fourth to end on the card. There were one match, but two matches between it and the semi-main event, and it was one of two titles on the card that night. That's the only like bad booking I say that exists in WrestleMania three. Uh, but next to that, WrestleMania seventeen, the gimmick. WrestleMania, the TLC two match, uh, Rock Austin two with the Limp Biscuit stuff, like sixteen year old Rill was fucking going crazy for that stuff, man. I loved it. The gimmick battle royale stole the show though. Yeah, Duke the Dumpster Drossy, Jim Cornette, man, the Iron Sheik, uh, Richard, all of them. Yeah, it was so much fun. Well, ladies, gentlemen, we did it. We made it. We did all the damage we could do for one Sunday night. I appreciate the hell out of you, especially you, Super Beer, jumping in last minute to uh, to cover home base or second or whatever position you you want to play in this cliche. Um, Jackson, I'm going to give you the the chance to tee off here first. It's your first time on this show. Uh, this is the chance to plug your stuff. Tell everybody where to find you. Put yourself over. You can find me pretty much Monday through Friday at twitch.tv slash the panda wrestling company you can find me on also on tuesday nights on the wrestling with toxicity on the twitch.tv slash geeks and noobs and other than that i really don't plug my other socials they're just there (laughs) super beard tell everybody what's going on over at geeks and noobs and panda wrestling company so you can go to twitch.tv slash the geeks and noobs. Um, I run several shows there all week long. We have the flagship show of the geeks and noobs podcast Thursday nights, 8 PM Eastern. Uh, we talk about comic book movies and whatnot. This week we'll be doing a full spoilerific review of Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania. Uh, Tuesday nights at 7 PM Eastern is uh, wrestling with toxicity with an NXT watch along, which is simulcasted, not just on twitch.tv slash geeks noobs, but also youtube.com slash TGN networks, which everybody please go subscribe as well as uh, twitch.tv slash Panda wrestling company, uh, where I'm also seeing, you know, Jack said five days a week. It's really seven days a week for both of us. It is very rare that we are not on the air. Uh, on on that channel or on my channel, so we're doing something behind the scenes. You guys work more than I do as as far as content <laughs> creation goes, because I stream. I do usually do five nights a week, plus my interviews, plus botch pots, plus trivia, and then I find out you guys are still streaming between the two of you seven nights a week. I'm like, well, yeah. fuck, I need to step my game up. <laughs> also, I want to plug that starting, I believe, this Monday night. Uh, if all goes well, if not, it'll be next Monday night, but we have a new show coming to the Geeks and Noobs on Monday nights. It's going to be a raw watch along called uh, Monday Night Punk Driver, and it's with my good friend Comic Punk Guy as the host. Ginger and I will be on the show as well, and it's going to be us really breaking down what's going on in Raw on top of like fun segments and funny moments and talking about punk music and all kinds of stuff like that. So it'll be a really fun three-hour show Monday nights uh, starting at you know probably 7.45 p.m. But you know, like 8 o'clock is when the show is when Raw starts, so 8 p.m. Eastern. 
Uh, so that'll be fun. So make sure you check that out as well. And also, you can find me on TikTok, Superbeard, Instagram, Superbeard VH, Twitter, Superbeard VH. So, yeah. Al, you're up. You can find me on uh, tweeters and the Tiki Talkie, Just a Girl 918, like the No Doubt song. Yes, that's where it's from. I'm just a girl. Mm-hmm. It has literally been my username it. since middle school. That, like, AIM, like, 100% was my AIM username. I've used it forever. My AIM Instagram name or whatever came from a Primus song. I don't even remember what it was. I don't remember mine. I just remember my name was 6942. (laughs) I don't remember. Sorry. Go ahead, Al, as we derail your plugs. (laughs) Uh, I have 791 followers. So close. So close. Thanks to Heal Mike for all the assistance with getting the followers so that I can go live on TikTok because, you know, Will needs a babysitter everywhere he goes to keep him out of trouble. And since we got rid of our yellow shoes, I need somebody to go live with me on TikTok. (laughs) So, um... Force. I made a decision today that I haven't fully uh, told Will about yet. But, so, news for everyone. Starting in Season 3, um, I will be bringing back the Hill Support Group comic. Um, so, I take all those figures that you see up above Will's head and we do, like, a comic strip with them. Including the little cornet figure. Nah. Fuck you, Russo. <laughs> Um, double cheese, double bacon. <laughs> but I've decided that once a month I will be adding a stop motion uh, cartoon to it as well. Well, that's news to me. That's what I said. <laughs> I decided it today when I was on with Katie that I was going to do that. That's a lot of work. I know. They're not going to be very long. Uh, I've like trialed it a couple of times. Like I made a little like... Uh, rock uh roman one like a year ago um that's pretty funny um but yeah so sorry for the yawn but yeah so follow me on the the tiki talkies so that i can go live follow my tweeter um we've got some good stuff coming in season three as we're starting to wrap up season two so it'll be super fun uh Season three will also have uh, my own show, the Boss Bitch Power Hour. So, yeah. Well, it's time to do shout-outs. You need to follow my friends. Follow Mr. B-Roll. Follow Husky Roads. Follow Self-Bet Wrestling. Follow Brett Wyatt. Follow Too Tall Tyler. Follow, follow Brian's House of Random. He's another guy over on TikTok. He's yeah. only like 50 away from hitting 1,000. He's real close to getting there. Follow Dad Hat Wrestling and the rest of the Panda Wrestling Company people, Breast Out, all of those friends. Uh, follow my boy Matt Ritter, M-A-T-T-R-I-D-D-E-R, Smacking It Raw, the number one podcast over on the hub. And yes, I love saying that because that's a real thing. Uh, follow my boy Travis Pointer at Lord Cussalot. And follow my boy Ted at the Hill Truth Podcast. Um, I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys coming on and chatting about some wrestling with me, guys. It was great to have you. Jacksonville, I love the hell out of you, Superbeard. You know you're my boy, whether you admit it or not. Follow Katie well, Wrestling 13. You forgot her. Follow Katie Wrestling 13. For Will, I just want you to know. I want to know about <laughs> That's it. 
That's my walk-off music. That means the show's been going for too long. So you know what that means? Now as we close another episode of Bite Files and Share Shots, I'm going to take a minute. Thank you for listening. I remind you to go wherever you do anything on the internet. Like, follow, subscribe, unsubscribe, then subscribe again. Leave a comment telling me how great I am or how terrible we sound. Either way, it helps the algorithm and it helps find new listeners. If you're feeling really generous be one of the VIP people, head over to Patreon.com and donate to the Rivet City Radio Podcast Network. You get some fantastic swag. We get some fantastic guests. It's a win Win for the Ginger Ninja Jack Spell, for Superbeard, for the Boss Bitch Miss Allison Siegel. I am the Will Gray. Thanks for stopping by and listening, my people. Bye bye.